This is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. What's going on? Andrew Hustler-Patterson with you, along with Michael Remus. And uh, got a big show, lots of pigskin talk today. The hockey talk is really going to get going coming up next week once uh, Jets training camp gets going. But we do see NHL is returning to their uh, places of work around the league. Certainly that's happening here in Winnipeg. And the mini camp does get going a little bit later on this week. Kenny Weeb of uh, Sportsnet contributor fame and uh, well, one of our favorites here on Winnipeg Sports Talk will join us tomorrow. And if you missed the conversation we had with Paul Edmonds yesterday, uh, you can be sure to go back and check out the podcast. It was at the second half of the program or the CTO, Michael Remus, has posted that as a standalone video on the YouTube channel. So be sure to check that out if you're Jones and for Jets news before things really get going coming up in a few days. Um, we are going to talk to Marshall Ferguson, break down the last couple weekends in the Canadian Football League. What he thought, thought of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers sweep of the Labor Day Classic in the Banjo Bowl as well as a look ahead to this week's action in the Canadian Football League. We'll find out what's going on with the Hamilton Tiger Cats and that quarterback situation heading into week number seven in the CFL. And lots going on in the National Football League right now. Coming out of week one, we've got the WFT and the Giants playing tomorrow in the Thursday nighter. Uh, but longtime warm-up listeners will remember one of my favorite dudes to chat with, Ben Heisler, who I met at the Super Bowl Geez, I think it was the Phoenix Super Bowl. He was working for 610 Kansas City, uh, and they ended up being right beside us. Got to be fast friends, and I've always loved having Benny on the program. He's got an exciting new gig, and uh, we'll get his thoughts on week one, maybe a little fantasy advice and a more before Marshall joins us. And, of course, it is the final day of live racing at Assiniboia Downs tonight. Remo and I are both going to head out for a few races, so uh, if you're bored and looking for something to do, and I haven't been to the track yet. Why don't you pop down? We'll be out in the main grandstand, lower level, taking in a few of the races and hopefully winning a million-dollar payout tonight. Well, we'll find out how we can get in on that. Darren Dunn of Assiniboia Downs is going to join us a little bit later on the program um, after we get through all the football with Benny Heiss and Marshall Ferguson. Uh, as always, we're brought to you by Manitoba Battery, Not Autocorp, Royal Sports, Little Brown Jug Brewing, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Boston Pizza, Canadian Club, Assiniboia Downs, and our betting partners at Coolbet Canada. Uh, interesting prop, actually, the Coolbet folks have for uh, the Jays' playoff push tonight. We'll hit that a little bit later on. But uh, let's get Michael Remus in here to get things going before we talk a little NFL pigskin with Ben Heisler and get to the three-down game with Marshall Ferguson. Remo, what's going on? Us. I'm pumped. We're heading to the Downs for the first time this season. I want to hear more about this million-dollar jackpot. And we are counting down until the uh, until the hockey season, Hus. Um, you know, we had Paul Edmonds yesterday. We went through the training camp roster. Uh, it's almost here. I'm getting real excited. Well, I mean, we can talk about some of the hockey news happening around the league. Uh, the bottom line is we... Uh, I mean, we're right now hurrying up and waiting to get guys on the ice. We'll see what happens in minicamp. I'll be uh, quite excited to uh, talk to Ken tomorrow. I believe he's heading out to the first uh, on-ice session. So we'll have Weber on in the afternoon and uh, get his thoughts on uh, the first time seeing Jets players or Jets prospects in this case skating here in Winnipeg. 
but there actually was quite a bit of NHL news uh, over the course of uh, the last little bit. I guess right off the bat, this is the front page story on tsn.ca right now, Reem. Uh, Stan Bowman was, um, I guess there was a request to suspend Stan Bowman from his position as the GM of the U.S. Olympic men's hockey team while he faces allegations that he helped cover up the sexual abuse of two Blackhawks players back in 2010. And, and I'll be honest, I sort of assumed not only that this would happen, but I was very skeptical as to whether he'd be the general manager of the Chicago Blackhawks as we go into the season. And, you know, as this investigation continues, granted it has been being done by the Blackhawks themselves and not the National Hockey League, uh, there was, certainly as we got into the summer, there was some increasing pressure um, for something to happen and absolutely nothing has happened right now. And listen, I don't want to speculate um, that certainly in, in situations like this, you don't want to, um, you know, speak on something you really don't know. Rick Westhead has been the guy that has done as much digging on this as any, um, you know, one of the truly bright minds over at TSN and a very different angle on journalism uh, than you get from most of the people that cover hockey. But Remo, when you consider what happened in the past with U.S. gymnastics, and I know there's, I guess, hearings on that right now. I saw someone Biles speaking on it today. Um, I was a little stunned that nothing has happened on this. Now, you know, some people say maybe that indicates that what they're finding out about, you know, through this investigation is maybe different than it's been been reported. I guess that's possible. Um, but the bottom line is Stan Bowman still continues to be the GM of the Blackhawks and the United States Olympic team, despite, um, you know, some pretty serious allegations that he and the Blackhawks orchestrated a cover-up over the past 10 years of some very serious sexual assault by one of their coaches who then moved on to do it again to minors later on involved in hockey. Yeah, full credit to Rick Westhead doing a great job and um, the allegations uh, that we've heard um, pretty gross uh, to think about. And I do agree. It is kind of surprising that, um, that, you know, they're standing behind Stan Bowman. I guess they're going with innocent uh, until proven guilty as Wayne Jones says in the chat. But I mean, I've seen, I followed, you know, what's going on with U S gymnastics. We've heard about other incidents in hockey. I think this is something that you'd want to uh, distance yourself from, but uh, apparently not. And we'll see if, you know, I know Rick Westhead's going to be going on this, um, you know, till he can, till till it's over. So uh, we'll wait and see uh, what the updates are. But this is this is something you know that is going to be hanging over the Blackhawks uh, for this season. We'll see, you know, how how much in the foreseeable future. Well, the interesting thing was, I mean, you know, as the heat was really on the Blackhawks, they seemed to make a massive move almost every day. I mean, first it was Jonathan Taves coming back, and then it was you know Seth Jones, uh, Mark Andre Fleury. I mean, the Blackhawks, as far as the personnel of the hockey club, have had one of the most eventful off-seasons in the National <laughs> Hockey League. But the bottom line is that as long as this story is out here and, you know, there is no conclusion, um, it is somewhat of a, a pretty significant black cloud that's hanging over the Blackhawks organization. Um, the Calgary Flames finally adding a couple defensemen to uh, to the mix. I was telling you, um, doing those shows with Pat and the guys on Sportsnet 960 over the past, well, few months, I mean, the big talk going into the season. I mean, in fact, mainly the conversations was, oh, they're going to blow it up. How does the core of the Flames change? Johnny Gaudreau, Matthew Kachuk, Sean Monaghan, uh, you know, certainly Elias Lindholm. I don't think he's going anywhere. He's on a pretty team-friendly deal and a very talented young player. I mean, they were signed Dubé, they were signed Mangiapane. 
uh, Mangiapane. But, I mean, they lost their captain, Mark Giordano, to Seattle in the expansion draft. I mean, it's so ironic that, you know, we're talking about the Jets' issues on defense. And Edmonton loses Adam Larson. Calgary loses Mark Giordano. The Jets, fearing they might lose Dylan DeMello, ended up losing Mason Appleton. I mean, it couldn't have turned out much better for the Winnipeg Jets. But both of those teams had major, major holes to fill. And, you know, we'll see how Edmonton does fill in the hole of Adam Larson, who I know we call him Mr. One-for-One. He came for Taylor Hall, and that always sort of hangs over him. Uh, But he was a big-time minute muncher for Dave Tippett last year, and that is significant. Can Duncan Keith fill that hole? Well, that's a big, big question. But as far as Calgary goes, you know, they acquired Zadarov, who's got one year left. I mean, he signed a one-year deal. He's going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. You lose Mark Giordano, and, uh, I mean, they had an incredibly, incredibly lean back end. So Eric Goodbranson signs today, uh, as does Winnipeg native Mark Stone, or Michael Stone, Mark Stone's brother. And it just goes to show him what a coaching change can do for a player in that, you know, Michael Stone was essentially a fixture in the press box until Daryl Sutter came to town. And once Sutter got on the uh, on the bench, started playing Michael Stone a lot more to the point where he was, you know, a significant contributor in the final couple months of the season as they tried to erase the disappointment of the year and get into the playoffs. Obviously, it didn't happen. Um, but many people were wondering where Stone would end up. I mean, waited it out, took a while, obviously getting a league minimum deal, um, but he's in there. And the Calgary Flames' depth on the blue line, um, I guess the depth is a bit better, but the bottom line is there is going to be some heavy, heavy lifting for the likes of Rasmus Anderson and Hannafin and probably especially Chris Tanev uh, with the loss of Mark Giordano, who has been the rock on that blue line for the better part of a decade plus. Yeah, I don't know what the Flames are doing. They're kind of spinning their wheels here, Huss. I was very high on them last year. Here, we can pull up their daily face-off lines. I was very high on them last year, and it was a disappointment over and over again. Sean Monaghan, I mean, they haven't been on the third line on daily face-off. He's really taking a step back. Matthew Kachuk, uh, he's a solid player. And Johnny Gaudreau, I think, inconsistent. Blake Coleman could be nice on the second line. But, um, you know, they do have former Winnipeg Jets forward Trevor Lewis on the fourth line, I think. With Daryl Sutter as the coach, they're kind of going with that Daryl Sutter, you know, hard-nosed hockey, lunch pail identity. Man, there's a lot of ads on this on the site. Um, and we'll see. I think their defense took a hit with losing Giordano, too. Um, you know, Tanev, Hannafin, Zadarov, Rasmussen, uh, looks, or Anderson, what did I say? I don't know who, I lost my train of thought there, but yeah, Anderson, Zadarov, uh, Hannafin, and Tanev. Uh, they're really missing, I think, Giordano there, and we'll see how it goes. But uh, I think the Flames. I mean, are they even? A, are they a playoff team, fringe playoff team? What are the expectations there? Because it seemed like they were high after making the playoffs a couple of years ago, but they've really just taken a step back. I think over and over. And you thought they were going to make some big changes, and they didn't make any. So, like, why would next year? And out of this team, I don't think is. I guess didn't say didn't make anything. They signed Blake Coleman, but. Um, I thought changes they signed Coleman and they lost yeah. Giordano. Yeah, uh, they've done almost nothing of significance outside of that. And I think the Coleman addition is going to be great. And I think Daryl Sutter is going to love him. He's never been a top six forward in the National Hockey League. And, and maybe that opportunity makes him even more of a productive player. Or maybe he's going into a role that he has never been given for a reason. Um, I, I'm not sure. 
But I mean, six years at just south of five million bucks a year is pretty significant for a guy approaching 30 years old. I do think he'll help help up front. Um, but the blue line is the area of some pretty significant concern. And I'll tell you what, for all our talk about the backup goaltender here in Winnipeg, with Eric Comrie getting the opportunity, um, it looks like Daniel Vladar, uh, who they acquired from, I believe, the Boston Bruins, um, is going to get the opportunity and uh, with almost no NHL experience as well. So uh, there's some similarities on a couple things between Winnipeg and Calgary, but I would say the Jets offseason so far outshines what uh, Brad Treleving was able to do. And of course, now, Remo, Calgary is going to be fascinating this year because Johnny Gaudreau's on an expiring contract. Matthew Kachuk has one year left on his deal. And because of the way that his contract was signed, he's got to get qualified at $9 million. Um, you know, and that's without any guarantee of a long-term deal. Just guarantees that it's $9 million to keep his rights going forward. And he can easily sign that and, you know, get him taken to free agency a little closely. And, and the reason I bring up the Flames and kind of transition to Kachuk is that one of the big stories in the league right now remaining before we get to training camp is some of the big RFAs that are still out there. Of course, Pedersen and Hughes in Vancouver, Kaprizov in Minnesota, and Brady Kachuk in Ottawa. And the Senators floated out yesterday that they've offered Brady Kachuk eight years at $8 million a year. And I think Craig Oster is, of course, a Winnipeg native and I guess the uncle of... Brady and Matthew, one of the top agents in the league, did such a good job of getting the deal that he did for Matthew without the term to the Calgary Flames. I think that's where the standoff is right now. Ottawa, I think, is willing to pay the money. God knows they've got the cap room. But they don't want to get into a situation where they don't have cap certainty and have to go through this all again with Matthew Kachuk in three years and maybe two years. And most importantly, not buy any UFA years and not get the term that they're looking for. And, uh, I mean, to me right now, as we get into training camps opening, um, and it's this case every year, we had it here in Winnipeg a couple of years back with Kyle Connor and Patrick Laine, the ability of these teams to get these young star players signed um, is going to really suck up all the oxygen in the room, at least in those markets, as we saw it did here in Winnipeg. Yeah, we'll just go to our, our favorite site here, Cap Friendly. Looking at these top RFAs, still remaining unsigned, Darlene, Kaprizov, Pedersen, Kachuk, Quinn Hughes. I mean, those are five uh, very, you know, all I want to say all-stars. I don't know if they're actually all-stars, but, you know, very, very important players to their teams. Kyler Yamamoto, I saw reports that his agent was having an in-person talk with uh, GM Ken Holland. So this is something we'll keep an eye on. And I'm kind of curious what happens. Well, you know, what happens because it does set the market going forward. I think what we're seeing when you give these young guys, um, you know, the bag of money now rather than having to pay later. But if you're a guy like Brady Kachuk, maybe you want to take a short term deal because, you know, the cap's going up and there'll be more money available going forward. But, you know, you've seen if someone offers you, you know, sixty four million dollar contract now, you're going to say, no, I want a hundred million or I want uh, in like three years to be able to get an even bigger one. Um, I don't know, maybe just take it, take it now and and be set for life. But I think it's just showing what we know about the hockey aging curve. I retweeted, uh, I think it was like Top Down Hockey, who, who was showing it that guys are peaking age 25 and rather than later age 27, 28. And you want to pay them when they're productive. And the way the hockey system is set up, where they become UFAs like 28, 29, after they've already had their best years. So you're effectively paying 
uh, for past performance. So I think they're doing the right thing by trying to lock these guys up early. And I know a lot of ears are being turned at some of the money these young guys are are making. You know, before you know they've really done a lot, but I think over the over long term, a guy like Brady Kachuk or Pedersen or Kaprizov are definitely worth uh, what they're asking. And hopefully, you know, I'm sure they'll they'll five figure it out before the season starts. I don't think we're gonna have any holdouts. We it's very rare us uh, that that actually happens. Who who of those four players? Who do you think is the most likely to get to sign? Maybe not to get. I'm sure they're all get offers to sign a, a max extension. Because I don't know if Vancouver yeah. can actually do that with either of the players <laughs> right now. Like even if they wanted to right now, you know, with what they have, I think they've got about 15 million in cap space yeah. for these two players, and I don't think that's going to get it done on an eight year deal. Or put it this way: if you did an eight year deal with either of those players. I don't know if you're even able to sign, you know, a short-term deal with the other one. Hughes is a little different. He can't get an offer sheet. I don't believe he's got arbitration. So he's in a bit of a different uh, situation than Pedersen is. But you've got those two. You've got Kachuk with the history um, of Oster and what he did. And I think there was a couple people that that mentioned, I think it was, was it Waiters or... uh, Somebody that mentioned that the old man, uh, (laughs) Keith Kachuk, never left money on the table as older Jet fans will remember, and don't expect the Suns to either. Um, but I think Ottawa is going to do everything they can to uh, to get him done. And as far as Kaprizov goes, I mean, we're seeing reports that the Minnesota Wild have, you know, given a very, very substantial offer to Kaprizov, and um, there's just not making a lot of progress right now. And of course, the KHL season is on, but that had always been held out as a little bit of a carrot. There was also the uncertainty uh, what was going to go on with the Olympics. And there was speculation that if NHL players were not going to the Olympics, that might increase the likelihood that Kaprizov would decide to stay in the KHL so that he could play for Russia. Obviously, that's not an issue right now. But the issue of getting him signed right now is very significant for Bill Guerin. Yeah, and that's the guy we'll be watching. I think, you know, him is one maybe more likely to hold out just because you have that Russia threat, whether know he's going to go or not I, I think they've been kind of using that as as leverage and that's why maybe some people in the chat aren't a big fan of uh having Russian players you know drafting Russian players because there's always going to be you know we went through it with uh Burmistrov and uh who was it? Ivan Telegan uh left for Russia as Ivan well. Telegan the I mean <laughs> I mean <laughs> what a saga that was I mean nothing ended up uh becoming of those players but uh, I mean you never know if they would have if they would have stayed. But I remember like Ivan Telegan watch for so long. So that would be my pick. I think Pedersen, it seems like he's more likely to be a shorter term deal. Like Vancouver's like screwed themselves with this cap. And again, they had, I don't like the, the Oliver Ekman Larson trade long-term. I mean, you were about to free up all this salary and then they, I so I'm not, I'm not, I don't really like what Vancouver is doing. They traded for Oliver Ekman Larson. who has got a very long contract and, is really on the downside. Or then they signed what Tucker Pullman to two point five, yeah, for four so, years. For, so they're, I mean, they're up against it. They don't have, uh, they got what ten million in cap space. Got to sign uh, these two guys. Oh, it's ten, I thought it was fifteen. So that's even worse of a situation. So yeah, I don't yeah. know how they're going to handle it right now. Jim Benning still has a lot to do going forward. Hey, there was one quick Jets note. And by the way, happy birthday to Dave Manuk over at IC. I see that the uh, balloons come up when I hit his Twitter account. So. Happy birthday, Dave. Uh, but if you check it out, Dmitry Ryshevsky, the fifth rounder for the Jets in 2021, 
had two goals today in the Continental Hockey League. He's got four goals and five assists for nine points in five games for Moscow Dynamo, which early in the season puts him third overall in KHL scoring. And I'm just doing the math here, Reem. I mean, nine points in five games is far beyond what you normally think of as scoring numbers in the Continental Hockey League. Not too many players kicking it at a clip over a point a game. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, a fifth round, you don't expect to hear those sort of things so quickly after being selected. But another more good news for the Jets prospect pipeline. All right, we're going to get to Benny Heiss in just a second. Before we do that, big shout out to Donnie and the gang over at Manitoba Battery for their support of Winnipeg Sports Talk. They are the battery guys. Batteries for everything. 1026 Logan is the address, 783-8787. You can give them a call or you can find them online at manitobabattery.com. Automotive, industrial, farm, water sports, sleds, they've got it all. And right now, a uh, you know before it gets cold, pick up the uh, fall special, the maintainer. 20 bucks for your battery. You use this on your summer car, your boat, your camper. Keeps that sucker charged intermittently throughout the winter. So when spring comes, you're not worrying about a battery. You are good to go. Um, And when it comes to a battery for your car, be proactive. Don't wait till it's minus 30 out and you're in a jam. Uh, And the guys will give you the best price on the best batteries. They'll deliver it to you for less than it would cost you to walk into Costco and pick it up. So uh, there you go. Manitoba Battery. Welcome aboard to Winnipeg Sports Talk. If you need a battery, get at the ManitobaBattery.com. Our friends at Not Autocorp have a lot going on over at Waverly and McGilvery. The Winnipeg Car Lab is open for business. Uh, Wraps, deckling, rims. Basically, if you're trying to trick something out, they've got it for you. Or, of course, you need to do a wrap for, uh, you know, some sort of a custom vehicle, maybe for a business. You can find them online and all the socials at Winnipeg Car Lab. And you can find out more at not.ca. And, of course, why not, if you're looking for a vehicle, let the experts at Not help you get into the car of your dreams at a great price. See them at Waverly and McGilvery and online at not.ca. And uh, we're in week, we're in through week one. NFL season is here. Jet season is just around the corner. Bombers are hot and in first place. If you're thinking about blue and gold, Jets gear, or any gear from your favorite NFL team, you know where to go. It's Royal Sports, 750 Pemina Highway, connected to King Skate, Snow, and Surf. And while you're there, you can check out the millions of dollars of hockey inventory, bikes at the back, still maybe some time for camping or some great deals at the end of the season. Uh, there's nowhere else to go. If it's sports, it's Royal. They're at 750 Pemina Highway, proud sponsors of ours since day number one. All right, let's get to uh, a little football talk. It is great to have Ben Heisler back. As I mentioned, Benny Heiss and I met back in the day at the Super Bowl when he was with 610KC. Uh, Ben's gone to Sports Illustrated and now is the managing editor for Bet Sided and Minute Media LTD. Let's uh, bring in Benny Heiss right now. Ben, what is going on? How are things with you, my friend? It is good to see your smiling face, Hustler. <laughs> this is just an absolute uh, privilege. Normally, for, for all these years, we've been doing this uh, on the phone, but now I feel like I, I get to see you. You got that, that awesome-looking bar behind you, and uh, I'm ready to talk some football, man. I know we had a crazy week one. We had uh, underdogs go nine and seven against the spread we saw favorites or excuse me no underdogs went 12 and four against the spread nine and seven straight up 
uh, to kick off the NFL season. So if we're not already off to a, a pretty crazy start, uh, week two should bring even more excitement. No hey, doubt. you know what? Before we get to week one, I, of course, am wearing the Winnipeg Sports Talk t-shirt right here. Folks, you can pick that up at the store. Go to winnipegsportstalk.com and a um, bunch of other great stuff, too. You, my friend, have an exciting new gig. Tell us about it. I'm interested to know what you're up to and uh, how uh, things are going as we get into the NFL season, which is such a big part of what you do. Yeah, it's a really exciting time. So uh, I joined the the great people over at, at BetSided and, and Minute Media. And for anybody that's unfamiliar with Minute Media, uh, they're an incredible media company that uh, are the, the people behind the Players' Tribune, which was uh, Derek Jeter's company that he started several years ago for athletes to be able to, to tell their own stories. Uh, Fansided.com, which has sort of local and national connections to hundreds of different teams, both across the U.S. and Canada and around the world. Um, 90 Min, an outstanding uh, soccer-based site out of London, uh, and, and many, many more that are all sort of under the the, the different media uh, minute media family. But they were in the process, knowing that that you know, for us in the U.S., hustler sports betting is growing; it's becoming more legal in more states. Uh, and they knew that they wanted to create uh, unique, fun content for for folks that maybe haven't necessarily been diving in into the world of sports betting uh, for many years, like the two of us. Uh, and so because it's so new, because it's so fresh and exciting, uh, they wanted to create some fun, unique and, and different sort of content to be able to help get people more interested, more involved. And so uh, somehow one way or another, they, they tapped me to be their managing editor. But uh, our team is outstanding. We we have a uh, an outstanding uh, Canadian on staff, uh, Ian McMillan, who uh, you might follow uh, his golf bets uh, every so often. But uh, him, Peter Dewey, Donovan Smoot, Reed Wallach. Uh, Joanne Stoner. The team's just awesome and everyone's fired up and ready to go. So for anybody looking for our content, you can go to fansided.com slash betsided. And that's where you can find really all of our stuff. Love it, Ben. Well, I've been enjoying it. Wanted to make sure we got that in there because as we, I mean, what's happening in the United States is happening here too. And yeah, of course, we've all been betting on games for a long time or a lot of people have, but as it is now opened up to the markets, you're right. There's a ton of people that you know, I, I mean, I get tweets every single day. You know, how does this work? What do the odds mean? Uh, what's going on? And, you know, that sort of content is very important as people get more familiar with what it is, get into it. And, you know, if they want to continue on to continue on doing it, nothing gets people more into betting than the National Football League. I mean, let's face it, it is it. And considering, speaking of refreshing, I see that case of Chiefs Bud Light there you've got in the back, and you got to love those branded cans. I thought you might like that. Yeah, this was, this was sent to me over by a, by a, a friend in the industry, and uh, I knew your, your love of the Chiefs, and this was our opportunity to, to catch up in a while. So I thought I'd just put this uh, right alongside here. They got off to a, a nice week one win against the Cleveland Browns. I, I don't know about you, Hustle. I, I thought that game would be close just because of how well Cleveland likes to, to run the football. They ended up averaging 5.5 yards per carry with their two big backs scored three touchdowns on Kansas city uh, number one rated offensive line, according to pro football focus, like the chiefs are still the, the clear cut top team in the NFL. Um, but I, I do have some concerns and, and I'm very curious as to what's going to happen in that Sunday night game against the Ravens. As you know, they've been dominant against Baltimore, Patrick Mahomes versus Lamar Jackson. He's three and oh, the chiefs have gotten off to big starts in a lot of those games. And we're seeing the line right now at Kansas city minus three and a half on the road. Boy, it would be a rough start for Baltimore for them to start the season 0-2, especially with how they lost that game to the Raiders on Monday night. So uh, certainly a, a fantastic way to open up the season for Kansas City. But, you know, we're, we're in Kansas City. You got some Chiefs Bud Light. Might as well enjoy it for, the, for all of us, don't you think? 
All you need a little Joe's KC behind there, sucking on uh, some uh, you know, rib tips or brisket while we're uh, while we're doing this today. God, just yeah. thinking about that. All we need is this damn border to open so we can actually drive down to a game and we'll be good. You got to get some pretty expensive flights if you want to make it happen right now. But sometimes it's worth it considering what we have and haven't been doing for the better part of the last two years. No doubt. Chiefs offensive line was the biggest story of the offseason, completely overhauled. I have to say, I'm listening to Patrick Mahomes and looking at some of the tape afterwards. Pretty nice results against a very good Browns defensive line. And uh, man, Creed Humphrey, the center, I just have to mention him first off. 41 plays, no sacks, no pressures. Um, overall, what was that? What's this, the, the, the buzz around KC about protecting Patrick Mahomes? Because that is job number one. They didn't get it done in the Super Bowl, and that's why they got smoked. No doubt. And, and still, the, the images are, are fairly clear of watching Mahomes run for his life. And I also thought it was interesting to hear you know, Chiefs fans' reactions during the Thursday night game because you had Dak Prescott coming off the injury where you didn't think he was going to be able to move. And he still has time to step up in the pocket and, and make some big throws. And I think a lot of Chiefs fans are starting to get worried. Like, how how did we lose to this team? How did, how did they generate so much pressure? I mean, that's the, the shape of how bad the offensive line was. And you know, a team like the Cowboys, who's had a really good line for the last several years, and now they're sort of back to the middle of the pack, uh, didn't have one of their starting players against Tampa. Um, it, it goes to show you the the emphasis. I, I always appreciate this hustler when the general manager of, of my team, um, and I'm a Bears fan, so it doesn't really apply to me, but if I'm a fan and I know that the general manager is watching the same team that I'm watching, like their TV is is showing the same footage of what I'm getting back at home. They're seeing the same thing. It was evident that the Chiefs needed to go out and, and fix their offensive line. You mentioned four out of five new starters. Uh, Humphrey was outstanding. Um, you know, I think Orlando Brown's going to take a little bit of time. Donnie Umber on the left side, that completely rebuilt left side is going to start looking better and better. Um, and, and I'm going to be interested as to more as to how often they are able to run the ball and not force Mahomes uh, to have to throw it consistently the way that he was uh, against Cleveland. Um, I, I think this matchup against Baltimore is going to be another heavy passing game because Baltimore blitzes more than any team in the league. That's just kind of their MO. Um, and, and while I think their goal is going to be to do it again, even though it burned them against the Raiders, um, they're going to want to apply a pressure against this newly built chiefs offensive line and force Mahomes to be uncomfortable. So I, I think it's going to be just a huge test on Sunday night as to whether or not this line is fully ready to take that next step. Cause if you get a win against Baltimore on the road and Cleveland, who's one of the better teams in the AFC this year at home. Um, it goes to show you that Brett Feach, general manager of the Chiefs, was watching the same thing that we all were, knowing that that offensive line needed help, and so far it looks good. It's funny you bring that up, Ben, because we had very similar conversations about our hockey team here in Winnipeg. I mean, you know, a great forward group, an elite goaltender, one of the best in the world, and a blue line that was uh, very problematic and a big part of why they got swept out in the second round by the Montreal Canadiens. And I mean, needless to say, we probably spent half of this program heading into the trade period and free agency talking about it. And Kevin Sheveldayoff went in and exceeded, I think, everyone's expectations with the acquisitions of Brendan Dillon and Nate Schmidt. And once that happened, I mean, the excitement level for this season, the upcoming hockey season around here was, um, you know, was, was cranked up with uh, with some with some gas on the fire, if you know what I'm saying. Um, but moving back to football, we talked about the Chiefs. What were your takeaways from the Browns? Because the Browns, to me, 
are a team that they're still the Browns and they've got this reputation as being bad, but they're actually quite good. We saw them kick the bejesus out of the Steelers in the playoffs, push the Chiefs right to the limit for the anything is possible fourth down pass to, to you know to keep it going on. Um, I was really impressed with their running game. They did make a few mistakes, and you can't do that against Patrick Mahomes, and that's probably why the game ended up the way that it did, but it was really close. Yeah, they're 0-1, but what were the takeaways? How optimistic are you that Cleveland can be a playoff team and can potentially win that AFC North? Yeah, I'm I'm very optimistic in them, and I go back to our season preview. We did team-by-team betting previews for uh, every single team in the NFL over at BetSide, and and I was trying to determine, I know Cleveland's going to be better, um, but I also think that Baltimore has an opportunity to, to take a step forward. Things are off to a rough start for them, considering the two fumbles from Lamar Jackson, uh, losing multiple running backs for the season and Marcus Peters going down. So, you know, hindsight being 2020, I, I would probably pick the Browns to go ahead and win that division, make the playoffs. Um, but they're, they're looking very impressive. And I, I think what worked so well a season ago is that, I mean, they're, they're not going to run away from what was effective for them, which was, a lot of heavy running, uh, number one offensive line in football. Uh, you have two studs in Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Control time of possession um, and, and then run a lot of heavy play action. You, you saw the impact that it had uh, for Seattle with Russell Wilson. Uh, you looked like the Russell Wilson from the first half last year in that game against the Colts. And the Colts have a good defense. Uh, and he threw for four touchdowns, was incredibly efficient on play action. It's the same thing is that offense in Cleveland for, for Baker Mayfield. Um, sometimes they were going to cut the field in half for him as well, allow him to, to make some plays on the run, which he's always been very good at. He's a good, accurate quarterback, except when pressure comes in. So they've addressed that issue right away. Uh, and then defensively, they knew that that was a major issue for them. So they now have nine new starters on the defensive side of the ball. Um, yeah, I thought they played all right against Kansas City, certainly very solid in the first half. Um, but I just think anytime you you do a lot of rebuilding and retooling, uh, regardless how good the talent is, it's still going to take some time, some actual game day time, because preseason doesn't matter anymore. So they're going to need some time to sort of understand their assignments and, and know where guys are supposed to be and, and get a feeling uh, for what that defense is supposed to look like. So I do think Cleveland's uh, defensive side is going to be improved. Miles Garrett is still an absolute beast uh, being able to get to the quarterback. Uh, he's one of the favorites over at WinBet for, for a defensive player of the year. So Cleveland is a legitimate playoff team that if you're looking at it purely based on everything in the division, because uh, Pittsburgh has some issues. I know they got a big win against Buffalo and then Cincinnati is still in their rebuilding phase. You have to look at, at Cleveland as the divisional favorites. And right now, most of the sports books certainly do. Uh, I, you mentioned the Steelers. What a performance. I mean, it was defense and special teams that really got it done. I mean, uh, I know a lot of fantasy players were uh, hoping for a breakout debut from Najee Harris. That did not happen, um, but they got the win. TJ Watt, the block punt. But what did you think about the Bills in week one? Uh, they had they were one of these teams, Ben, that had a lot of issues of unvaccinated players. There was a lot of mm-hmm. noise around them. We saw the same thing with the Minnesota Vikings and got, they lost to Cincinnati in week one. Um, how concerned should the Bills Mafia be at the week one performance? I don't Buffalo? think they should. Be, I don't think they should be too concerned. And the only reason is that Vegas still is very high on the Bills. Uh, if you look at the odds and, and we use the, the odds over at uh, at WinBet. Um, they're still plus 1,200 to win the Super Bowl. That's tied with the Rams for for third highest uh, in the NFL behind Kansas City, which is uh, just a little under five to one, and then Tampa Bay, which is right around six to one. So they're 
not the favorite in the AFC, but certainly after Kansas City, uh, they're that number two choice. And listen, Josh Allen wasn't great, 30 of 51 for 270 uh, and a touchdown, but Pittsburgh's defense is legit. Like they're very good and they're going to have to be what holds the Steelers together because their offensive line, we were talking about the number one offensive line in the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Steelers come in with a bottom five offensive line this year. It's just for so long a strength. And, and now uh, it's part of the reason that Ben Roethlisberger became so predictable in the final six games. He knew he had to get the ball out quick. Um, and, and teams just dared him to go deep and he just couldn't complete those passes anymore uh, because there just wasn't enough time to be able to, to have him set. And he's 39 years old, so he's already deteriorating from that standpoint as well. Uh, I, I do think Buffalo should be fine. They're three-point favorites uh, on the road against Miami, three and a half depending on, on where you look. Uh, the Dolphins were lucky to, to get out of New England with a win. Uh, Damian Harris had a costly red zone fumble that uh, left the door open for the Dolphins to get a win. And Miami's a solid team, too. Um, I, I think three teams come out of the AFC East for the playoffs this year. I, I still think the Patriots are a playoff team. I think Miami's a playoff team. And certainly Buffalo is going to be in the mix as well. But I, I do see a little bit of regression coming off such a dynamic season for the Bills. I think they caught some people by surprise. And listen, their, their defense is still going to be really solid. They have one of the better uh, premier cover corners in Tredavious White. Uh, and Josh Allen is a legitimate MVP candidate, but just got off to a rough start against a really good defense. So I, I think they come back, they bounce back this week, even as three and a half point favorites against Miami. Uh, they should be fine, but I don't think it's going to be this, you know, 13, 14 win season that maybe the Bills Mafia was anticipating. I, I think you're looking at more of a, a 10 and 7, 11 and 6 type of performance for uh, for Buffalo this year. You know, it's funny you mentioned thinking about three teams coming out of the AFC East because I actually had that feeling about potentially the AFC West and um, all the teams won the first we know the Chiefs will probably be there of the three other AFC West teams in their opening uh, week wins who impressed you the most I, I the Raiders had the most impressive win if you well, it was the most bizarre of, win I'll say it, that much it was the most it was the most <laughs> bizarre win it was certainly you know looking at the the level of competition um, I, I would say the, the you know, I, I still consider the Ravens to be the favorites in, in the AFC North, even though Vegas would, would disagree. So the fact that they beat Lamar in their building on Monday night football, I, I think does say something, but uh, they're still sort of that lower tier part of the division and their defense. I, I don't necessarily think is going to look that good the rest of the year, even though they generated a bunch of pressure. Um, you know, Denver, I, I, I kind of figured they would take care of business knowing that Teddy Bridgewater is under center for them. Uh, makes a whirlwind of a difference. Remember, this is someone that usually completes about 70% of his passes. Drew Locke only completed in the mid-50s. Um, and, and think about all the lost targets that he had to Jerry Judy, and now Judy's out. So that, that's a bit of a concern. I, I will say this, though, based on, on talking to some, some odds makers in Vegas uh, directly, um, you know, especially over at WinBet, uh, they hung Justin Herbert as the number three favorite behind Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers um, to, to win MVP this year. Like, that's substantial. And if you think about the trend, you know, three of the last four years, you had Patrick Mahomes win MVP in his second year, Lamar Jackson the year after that. Uh, Aaron Rodgers ended up winning it, but Josh Allen certainly made a, a compelling case. But, you know, that, that dark horse name was Kyler Murray coming into last year. Now he's an MVP candidate for this year. Uh, Justin Herbert was unbelievable on third down in that game and made a ton a ton of plays when he absolutely needed to. Uh, and, and they have an intriguing test uh, this week at home against Dallas. Uh, and a game that a lot of people think is going to be a shootout, but I expect the Chargers defense to actually play pretty well 
Uh, I, I like the under 55 in that game for whatever it's worth. But I, I think the Chargers sneak in. Denver, I, I just have some concerns as to whether or not they're going to show it enough on offense. But the, the talent's there. I, I just hope for their sake that Judy comes back because that, that's a team that on both sides of the ball, if they're healthy, should be able to win at least double digits. Yeah, uh, and, and you know what? I think they've got a competent quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater. I heard Thank a you. stat. Teddy Bridgewater in 25 road starts in the NFL is 22-3 and three against the number. That's incredible. Yeah, Teddy <laughs> Bridgewater has always been so good over his career at, at covering the spread. I, I think he's tops among current starting NFL quarterbacks against the spread. Pretty remarkable. Oh, I, I think that speaks to the fact that he's sort of been underestimated uh, it, over the fact. I mean, he probably deserves more credit for what he's done. And I wasn't a big Drew Locke guy at all, but I do think that the Broncos are certainly a more dangerous team with Bridgewater there. I mean, if they don't turn the football over, they got a pretty solid defense. I think they will be a tough out for a lot of teams this year. Let's move over to the NFC for a minute. Um, I, I know you said, and I certainly believe the Chiefs are the top team. The bookmakers will tell you that, but they're not the Super Bowl champs. The, champ, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are. They returned all 22 starters, and they had a very interesting week one game against the Dallas Cowboys, who have all that offensive firepower um, but not a defense. And I think you could probably look at some of the mistakes Tampa made, which made that game closer than it maybe should have been. Um, but I want your thoughts on Tampa's win in week one. And on the other side of it, the massacre that the Green Bay Packers endured in Jacksonville against the Saints. Jameis Winston, five picks. And Aaron Rodgers goes for 133 and two interceptions. Sorry, Jameis was five TDs. I'm used to saying five picks with Jameis. I was going to say it might have been a bit of a, a Freudian <laughs> slip because we're so used to, to talking about interceptions for, for Jameis Winston. <laughs> um, let, let's let's start with the Bucks because, you know, it had a similar vibe to what we expected out of the Chiefs last year, right? You know, everything was about running it back, bringing the whole group back together, um, you know, no real change. Um, and, and while I think that's certainly a positive, um, you also have to have a lot of things go your way. If you're not going to make, you know, if you're not going to attempt for higher improvements, just feel like this is the team that got us there. Why mess with it? Um, you know, you might not recognize areas that you do need to improve on. So, you know, if you're Tampa Bay, you know, maybe your secondary is an area that you probably needed to, to check up on a little bit. Maybe it wasn't as good as, as you may have initially anticipated. There's still flat out incredible against the run. Ezekiel Elliott did pretty much nothing in that game. Um, they're still going to generate a bunch of pressure. You saw as some of those trending clips of, of Vita Vea going right up the middle against Dallas. Um, so they're going to be fine from that end. But um, I, I do think you need to figure out who your running back is going to be, whether it's Fournette, whether it's Ronald Jones. You brought in Giovanni Bernard to sort of play that James White role that Tom Brady had for so many years in New England. Um, you know, offensive line was good, but they're still going to have to you know try and figure out a few different uh, ways to, to keep Brady upright. And uh, you've dealt with injuries with your wide receiver core before in the past, you know, and, and if Gronk goes down, you know, are, are you going to feel comfortable in, in OJ Howard? Probably not. Uh, he's had injuries issues as well. Uh, but Godwin's dealt with stuff. Mike Evans didn't look like he was 100 percent. You have no idea whether or not Antonio Brown could could end up lasting the season. So my concern for Tampa Bay is, yes, on paper, they're the clear definitive favorite in the NFC. Um, but did they maybe overlook some of their deficiencies and not choose to improve them because they felt like this is a team that was already capable of winning a Super Bowl? So I, I have a few concerns there uh, when it comes to Tampa Bay. As for Green Bay, I, 
I don't know what the hell happened. I, I really don't. Everything kind of worked out in favor for them, right? You have Rodgers coming back. He has Randall Cobb back, so he's he's somewhat happy, at least for another year. They, they make amends. Uh, then they don't have to play in the Superdome. And that's a tremendous uh, advantage that they don't have to deal with. And then they go to Jacksonville, and for whatever reason, they chose Jacksonville because I guess uh, Aaron Rodgers had some some rough numbers there. Uh, maybe they felt like it was an okay place for them to be able to travel to. It, it didn't make a ton of sense, uh, but clearly it worked. Clearly there is something in the air at that stadium in Jacksonville that that got into Aaron Rodgers, and he was terrible. But uh, I will say this. If, if they struggle again at home on Monday Night Football against the Detroit Lions, who, yeah, they – they held their own, I suppose, against San Francisco. But I, I think the, the final score of that game, even though it was an eight-point loss, was a bit deceiving. Um, the Lions are bad. Like, make no mistake about it. They have no wide receivers. Jared Goff is their quarterback for the next couple of years. They're, they're trying to build from the inside out. Dan Campbell has not been necessarily a coach that you'd want to really uh, strive to, to go all the way to the end of the earth for. Uh, they should clobber. The Lions. Like if I'm talking about a team that I would take in Survivor this this week, it's clearly the Green Bay Packers. If there's an opportunity for Aaron Rodgers to make a statement at home in prime time, where he's gone seven and zero on Monday Night Football in his last seven appearances, um, that's going to be an opportunity. And also teams that that have lost. I found this note that teams that have lost by thirty plus points or more uh, in Week One tend to go seven and one um, against the spread in Week Two. So I, I love Green Bay this week. If they struggle again then it's absolute panic button time. And you try to figure out whether or not Aaron Rodgers is trying to some sort of dream, some sort of a conspiracy to you know make the Packers worse. I, anything is on the table at that point, Hustler, if they lose at home to the Lions on Monday Night Football. I, so I just it, don't see it'd be interesting to see how many of those teams that lost by 30 in week one were double-digit favorites in week two. <laughs> it probably doesn't happen very often. Ben Heisler's our guest. Hey, Benny, before we go, um, you got a pick for the weekend, a game that you like, or uh, maybe a fantasy player too that people should consider putting in their lineup? Yeah, again, I, I've been trying to think about what I want to do this week as far as do I continue to go with the underdogs just because uh, you know Vegas is trying to adjust to them? Uh, do I go with uh, you know heavy favorites this week? Um, I, I'll give you two plays that I like. The, the first is, I, I mentioned it already, but I, I think doesn't matter what the number is. Green Bay should cover. Um, you know, I've seen them at 10 and a half in some spots. Some have moved to 11. I think both of those numbers are, are probably fine. Uh, they, they just, when when Aaron Rodgers is, is pissed off, those are the games that he tends to to go off and make a statement. And you know, I remember the, the, the relax game from several years ago. Um, and so I feel like this is sort of an area where he should probably, you know, end up just devouring the lions. It's just going, I, I think it's going to be over by the time the first quarter is done. Um, and if we're looking for, for another sort of straight up upset, I, I kind of like the Colts at home against the Rams. The Rams looked unbelievable, uh, in their week one win against the bears, but the bears are just, don't get, don't even get me started on the bears right now because, <laughs> Uh, that's a team with with a coach and a GM that should be on the hot seat, but they're not on the hot seat. And the only reason that they're saved is because they lucked into getting Justin Fields. That defense looked old. It looked bad. So I, I'm wondering whether or not, uh, you know, Matthew Stafford was able to prop his numbers up. But the Colts had a bad loss against the Seahawks, but they're back again at home. Um, the lines actually moved from, from four, from plus four for Indianapolis at home to, to uh, plus three and a half. Uh, 
it's a much better defense. And I also think Frank Reich is going to have an opportunity to, to right the ship a little bit. He's been bad in week one games over the course of his career. He's now 0-4 in week one. Um, they're they're going to play better against the Rams. I think there's going to be a little bit more urgency there. And so if we're looking for, you know, just an, an upset pick that I like, uh, I would take the the Colts on the money line this week. I, I don't mind them certainly at plus three and a half, uh, but I think they went outright at home against the Rams. Benny, it is great to have you on the show again now here on our new home. Folks, make sure you give Ben a follow at Benny Heiss and check out the work at Fansided and Betsided. And hopefully by the end of this season, the border will open. I'll be able to cruise down and we can hit Joe's and have a couple pints, maybe get some wings at the peanut and maybe even head to Arrowhead and see you at the Mahomes show. It was pretty awesome in week one. Thanks for doing this, pal. It's my pleasure, Hustler. It's great to be back. Great to see you and uh, looking forward to doing this all season long with you and your audience. Right on. There he is, Ben Heisler. Bet-sided, fan-sided. Great to have Benny on. Uh, great friend of the program. Had so many great conversations with him over the years and uh, great to see that he's doing some awesome things. Uh, we are going to be switching over to the three-down game discussing the aftermath of the bombers trampling of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in both the Labor Day Classic and the Banjo Bowl with Marshall Ferguson coming up in just a second. Uh, well, we wait for Marsh. Want to give a big thank you to our friends at Little Brown Jug Brewing for their continued support of Winnipeg Sports Talk. Uh, you know what? Well, the flagship brew, the 1919. Uh, but of course, they've also had that amazing summer lager. Still some time to enjoy that. The Hefeweizen Summer Variety Pack. If you check out their Twitter at LBJ Brewing, uh, if you're having any sort of an event that may need a keg, um, they've got some kegs of the Summer Lager uh, they still do uh, have available for you. And of course, a great supporter of Pride Winnipeg. The Pride cans are on sale right now, available at the tap room or online at littlebrownjug.ca. And a dollar from each of those cans goes to the Rainbow Charity. And as far as everything else goes, I mean, you can pick up LBJ at fine restaurants throughout Manitoba. I had a couple tweets yesterday uh, from one of our listeners that they were out at Earl's and uh, tried the Little Brown Jug and absolutely loved it. So if you haven't had the Little Brown Jug, it's some of the finest beer produced here in the city of Winnipeg. Great local partners of ours here at Winnipeg Sports Talk. Find them online, littlebrownjug.ca. Of course, speaking of local legends, Nick, and Nikki over at DQ, they've been with us since day one here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. And uh, man, the, the response our listeners have given to our friends at DQ continues today. Uh, four locations in Winnipeg and Southern Manitoba, the DQ on Northgate, the DQ in Niverville, Manitoba. Both of those have drive throughs as well as Dairy Queen Polo Park and the DQ St. Anne's. Uh, whether you're going for one of the famous blizzard treats, a peanut buster parfait, some of the ice cream treats that you can take home and throw in the freezer or maybe popping by for the criminally underrated Ultimate Grill Burger and everything they've got coming off the grill. Nick and Nikki have you covered. And if you're thinking about a cake for an event coming up, uh, don't wait. Get it ready for you in advance. Hit them up on Instagram, at DQ Manitoba. They'll get it ready for you, and you can come by and pick it up fast and easy at any of the Nick and Nikki DQs. And with Burger Week completed, we now focus in on uh, the mainstays at Boston Pizza. The mainstays, you know, the incredible pies, the wings, the ice-cold schooners, the sitting in the sports bar, watching the game with sound. 
Um, man, it's going to be fun being back there for Jet Games this year, for Monday Nighters, a big Thursday Nighter as well. BP, where we all get together, hit up any of the Manitoba locations. Tell them your friends at Winnipeg Sports Talk sent you. And if you're deciding to stay home, you can get them at bostonpizza.com and get it delivered directly to your spot. All right, that was a heck of a lot of fun with Ben Heisler. Uh, we are going to talk to Marshall Ferguson in a couple minutes. And, and before we bring on Marsh, I do want to let you know, if you haven't, if you're a big Canadian football fan, especially people that like the the ins and outs, maybe a little bit more of a, uh, um, you know, a football mind analyzing things, our next guest might be uh, the best anywhere to do that. All the work is at CF Perspective, um, and they're covering more than just the Canadian Football League. It really is all about the three-down game. And, of course, we've got U-Sports getting going as well. Um, seeing some reports about Bison Camp and about the exciting season for the Brown and Gold after missing all last season. So maybe we'll touch on some of that with Marshall as well. But you know where we're starting, and that's the Bombers on top of the Canadian Football League. So let's welcome him in right now from CF Perspective. And as well, we're going to have to talk about his debut calling the CFL on TSN. <laughs> Here he is, Marshall Ferguson. What up, Marsh? How are you? Hey, I'm good. I'm good, Hustler. It was um, trial by fire, I think, is the term that comes to mind, uh, dealing with that first television call for sure. It's It was amazing because... I think I was like so many other people who you watch so much football and so many different broadcasters do what they do. And I've grown up my entire life, whether it be NFL, CFL, otherwise going, I can do that. I mean, that looks easy, man. That's whatever. Like that guy doesn't know what he's talking about or, you know, I could do it better than that. Or, oh, why was that so clunky? And then you get in the booth and you're like, oh, hell this is way more difficult than I thought this was going to be. So uh, hopefully I'll grow into the role and do a great job with it moving forward. People were way too kind on, on my first time doing things, but um, I really did appreciate it. It was a great opportunity and I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to doing some games as well. I've got two games as of right now that are lined up for September 24th and October 6th, which are both games in Toronto covering suddenly a very interesting Argonauts team. So I'm excited to dive in and uh, do lots of research on them in the next couple of weeks and then call their games. No, dude, I thought you did an amazing job. And you know what? For football fans, obviously I'm a little biased because I'm a big fan of yours and we've talked over it. I mean, I'm very close with Dustin Nielsen, who, yep. uh, you know, we do the lock shop together. But I mean, the the future of the guys calling Canadian football is um, is in very good hands right now. And you mentioned, I mean, people were kind, but they were kind for a reason. You did a hell of a job. And, you know, I, I've said this personally. I think the ultimate team would actually be you and Dusty working together um, because you have the mind of a quarterback. But, you know, being able to analyze and do that at the same time while calling the game is, is a skill. So I can tell you, we heard to hear. Um, even when you weren't around, people were really impressed and uh, we're looking forward to another another turn or two uh, calling some great CFL action for you. Yeah, I appreciate all of that a lot. And it's funny, I was smiling as you're saying that because Dusty actually texted me after the first game. He's like, dude, I would love to have you as a color analyst to work on some of these games. I'm like, man, they got like think about the laundry list of CFL pros that they have at their disposal. There are constantly guys like Natea Jay, you know, in Toronto where they're retiring and they're looking to move up the ranks and they want to become analysts and, and they know the CFL game from the inside. And there's no replacement for that. Like I will never in my life be able to work hard enough to cover up for the fact that I don't know everything that happens inside those locker rooms, the dynamics and all the rest. And so there's so many people and the idea when Dustin texted me, that this is what I actually sent him back to be completely transparent with you. I sent him back 
you really think they're going to let a crappy university quarterback be a color analyst over all of the people that they would have available that long list that I'm talking about? But um, yeah, I mean, it's, I think my goal, because I know my home is play-by-play. Don't get me wrong. I love doing color, and I'm going to do the Yates Cup this year, the OUA Championship, as a color commentator alongside Mark Lee for the second time, uh, which is going to be a great, great time. Because Hopefully, it's a great game as well. But my my joy, my challenge in, in my way of doing broadcasting is I am a play-by-play man. I want to give you everything you want from play-by-play. But why can't I use the things that I love working on and researching and exploring as a way to tee up? the people I'm working with and have an open conversation because to me, I hate the idea of a play-by-play color booth where it's one guy says, and there's a run for three yards and he'll get the first down. And then he just stops because he's just limited and he just doesn't know what he's talking about. And then the color guy dives in and goes, well, now I have to paint color. It's like, well, we can both kind of add some color to the broadcast. And in that way, I think it's more free flowing. So that's my goal moving forward. And I think the biggest blessing in all of this is that Chris Edwards, John Hines, the producers, directors, all the rest behind the scenes, and Dwayne Ford have allowed me the freedom to just be me. They did like they they weren't in my head once during that first game saying, "Hey, uh, you know, maybe maybe less of the color stuff. Maybe maybe just call the play." Maybe they were like, "Hey, man, just do whatever you do, and and we'll figure it out afterwards." So yeah, it's it's a really really fun challenge for sure. Well, a lot of love for the the mustache as well today in the chat and uh, and Joey Peg. So Gitchlishka, big mustache connoisseur. Mustache is the way to go. And then Joey Panks follows that up with Dusty and Marsh, the future for, future of CFL coverage on TSN. I like it. So uh, now that we buttered you up, let's yeah. get down to business from Labor Day Classic and Banjo Bowl. Bombers yeah. do not allow a touchdown. The Riders don't even score ten points. Hard to imagine a more resounding couple of wins for Winnipeg, who are clearly right now the top team in the CFL. What did you make of the the two wins and uh, how successful the Bombers' defense was in frustrating and eventually knocking Cody Fajardo out of the out of the series? Yeah, so I'll, I'll get to kind of grand scheme, big picture thoughts on Winnipeg and their greatness in, in a second. But I always like to bring you Hasa. A- a stat or a number or something of interest that can really drive home. I think last time I was on, we were talking about Edmonton and I said, like people are wondering what's going on with their second down and why they can't move the chains. I said, because they're being sacked on 30% of their second and long passing attempts. Like that was the one in my research where I'm going, Oh my God, how are you ever going to be successful if you're getting sacked one third of the time that you're lining up on second and 10, because that's just a down in the CFL that you got to win as much as possible. So the number I got for you this week, I was looking at it for an article that'll be out on CFL.ca that, again, is all around Labor Day and the rematches that should be out today, maybe early tomorrow morning, depending on when they publish it. But it was about between the Hamilton-Toronto, between Edmonton-Calgary, and Saskatchewan-Winnipeg. Between those three matchups and the rematches, who won Labor Day? And obviously, the answer is Winnipeg. Like We, we know that straight up. They're the best team in the league. they got all these things. But I was trying to find tangible reasons for why they won Labor Day in the grand scheme of across the league, across these six teams, across these, uh, you know, these games that were played in the last two weeks. Why are they the best team and how are they doing it more importantly? And the number that I came to, I looked at uh, the percentage of snaps that were taken in these two game sets with the lead. Okay, and so when I went down through it, it was. 
essentially, you know, Toronto had the lead on 38% of their offensive snaps throughout the game. Uh, Hamilton had the lead in uh, 36% of the snaps throughout the game. Winnipeg had the lead in 58% of the snaps in the two-game set against Saskatchewan. You know how often Saskatchewan held a lead in terms of number of snaps, percentage of their snaps through two games? It was over 120 snaps, 4%. Like four percent of they didn't they never held a lead. So then you get to the point where your deep, talented, athletic Canadian American global defensive line is teeing off because Saskatchewan was chasing for ninety six percent of the two game set, and that to me drives home the idea that Winnipeg has the perfect style of football right now that matches their personnel. And I'm so impressed by their ability to roll over what they were doing in 2019 in a three-game sprint, have a COVID season that doesn't exist, go into a long bleeping training camp that everybody should be worn out from and just hit the ground running. Now, the only anomaly, obviously, is week three when they were in Toronto and Toronto ran all over them with DJ Foster. That was a weird one. I don't know how to explain that. I don't know if we'll see that again. If we do, I would imagine that Edmonton's going to try to do that with James Wilder Jr. this week. But when I'm looking at how Winnipeg is winning games. I had this conversation with Derek Taylor last night from CKRM out there in Regina where we're doing our podcast in Canadian Football Perspective, and he says, I'd love to see the Bombers open it up and let Zach throw because, yeah, the running is fun, but in terms of production per pass, they're they're just blowing people out of the water. And I said, Derek, that's because they only want to throw the ball a maximum of 25 times a game. If, if they're throwing the ball 40 times a game, they're not going to get the same production value. So what they're doing is saying, this is how many runs we want to hit. This is how many throws we want to hit. This is the high percentage throws we want. And Zach Kalaros is only required to land two haymakers. And he's hitting on a pretty decent clip at throwing those two haymakers in those games. So when I look at this, I just think to myself, defense is getting after it. Defensive backfields are all, I mean, they're, they're ball hawks right now. They're playing it really well in the air for the most part. And then I see the style they're playing. Like, <laughs> do you realize this is another crazy stat? Five of the top nine players in the CFL right now in special teams tackles are Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I'll say that again. Five of the top nine in special teams tackles in the entire CFL, nine-team league, five of them come from one team, and that's Winnipeg. Now, what does that tell you? That tells you that they are very content to punt the ball whenever they need to, play the field position battle, trust their defense, and be able to rally and make tackles on special teams with a bunch of dudes who are flying around. Plus, they're, they've mastered the global game because everybody else is like burying Australian punters somewhere as the 65th guy on the roster. And they're saying, no, Theodric Hansen's going to get snaps on defense and play specials, and we're going to get Les Moreau involved in the game as the first Japanese player to really make an impact. I understand that uh, Takiro Yamasaki is going to forever go down in history as the guy who hit the field goal in week one and then got cut two weeks later. But Les Moreau, is, he's the one that's really made the difference right now coming in from Japan. And, uh, and I just think that the Bombers, whether it's the offense, the style that they're playing, the way that they are using Andrew Harris, the high percentage throws they're giving Zach, his ability to hit home runs, the defense's ability to get to the quarterback, the special teams, the production, the Mike Miller factor. I mean, it's, they're the best team in the CFL, and, and all of that plays into it. Uh, this is great stuff. And, you know, folks, check out CF Perspective. There's a very interesting chart, uh, a graph, I guess it would be, illustrating what Marsh just talked about. You can see the pass play production grade uh, versus the play call percentage. And there's the Bombers way up at the top left of the graph and then everybody else sort of at the other corner. And it They're all playing the it. same stuff. This is the crazy thing, Huss. Everybody else in the league through those other five teams 
is playing, and I wrote this in the article, they're playing the exact same game. They're all like, hey, let's all throw the ball 72 to 74% of the time, and let's all throw it to the same depth of target, and let's all act the same way. And then Winnipeg is like, bleep that. We're not doing this the way everybody else is doing. We'll be over here in the top corner running the ball relentlessly, beating you up, wearing you down, and then throwing home run haymakers when we need to. So it's amazing that in a league that there's so many similarities, that graph to me, when I put that together, I'm like, if, if this doesn't show Winnipeg is playing a different game than the rest of the CFL, nothing else will. Uh, you know, it's some great analysis. Now, um, we've established that the Bombers are number one right now. The West is interesting. I thought Calgary saved their season. I mean, I'm on frequently with the guys on 960 in Calgary. And, you know, last week I did three shows with them. And we talked about the fact that, you know, it's week six of the season. And I know our industry is filled with hot takes. And to say something is a must win in week six is a bit of a stretch. But Marsh, when you look at what would have happened if Calgary had lost that game, they would have been one and five. They would have lost the season series against Edmonton. They would have been two games back of third without a tiebreaker. Um, I think it's safe to say that was the most urgent situation the Stampeders have ever been in in the first half of the season in the past 15 years. Yeah, yeah. So they get they get back into it. Edmonton takes a pretty disappointing loss after a big win in Labor Day the week before. Saskatchewan is reeling, and you've got BC going to Ottawa. Outside of Winnipeg, how do you evaluate the landscape of the West Division right now going into the weekend? Yeah, the way that I look at it for anybody not named Winnipeg or Saskatchewan is don't count on the crossover. And I understand that it's going to be a discussion towards the back end of the season because you never know how these games are going to shake out. But for me, I don't think you can count on it like we have in previous years. And I I think that's going to matter to a lot of people in the West when we get down there because no longer is it well, you know, we can do the Winnipeg or the the Edmonton thing. where Because um, people forget, right? Winnipeg was almost the crossover team like Edmonton was that had to go into Montreal to play in that East semifinal run through Hamilton in order to get to the Grey Cup. They obviously went an incredibly difficult route, regardless of not being the crossover team by going on the road, essentially, for all three games in the playoffs. But I, I look at this as... I think Winnipeg is the runaway at this point. And again, subject to change because the CFL is crazy like that. But right now, there's no question they're the best team in the West, as we say. I still have Saskatchewan as being the second best team in the West in this moment. And the reason that I say that is there's too many talented football players on that team, on that offense, that specifically offense for me, like getting Shaq Evans back, having Cody Fajardo operating at full efficiency that first drive that they had in week one against BC was a message sender on, hey, here's what the Jason Moss offense is with Cody Vajardo. And I don't believe that they've evolved wildly away from that. I just think they've become a little bit less efficient. And I think that he's been dinged and he's been put in some bad situations as well by his line at times. But again, playing against Winnipeg, that's going to happen. So I think Saskatchewan is two. After that, for me, Edmonton is so frustrating because Edmonton should be the third, at worst, should be the third best team in the Canadian Football League. And I I should say in the West, because I have Toronto with that three spot in the total power rankings, but I just think Edmonton has everything. Like, they, they, they you've got the kicking game with Sean White and Hugh O'Neill that you should be able to control field position. You've got a quarterback that can take some shots vertically with the talent that he's got out there because he can throw an accurate deep ball, or he can just dink and dunk and play underneath and pick you apart and frustrate you because he's going to have 50 attempts and complete 48 of them for 100 yards. Like, it it doesn't... They can do a lot of different things. They can beat a lot of different ways. But when you watch Edmonton play in the inconsistency, it doesn't make any sense to me. And I keep 
banging the drum and saying they're going to be good. They're go- they're going to figure it out. They're going to get there. They're- and they they get there on Labor Day, and you're like, hey, they finally arrived. And then we see to your point, Hus, about what just happened this past week. So I think Edmonton, Calgary, for me. They're the same team at this point. They're inconsistent. The quarterback play is up, then it's down. Then they have some drops, then they don't. Then they have consistency in their pass rush, then they don't. Because what Calgary did to Edmonton this past week is essentially the same thing that Edmonton has done to a couple of teams early in the year where Matthew Betts and Kwaku Boateng looked unstoppable. And it's just, there's no consistency there, which is why I think you're going to see a lot of parity in the back end of that West Division. And then the thing to me about BC is I, I honestly have no idea where they finish in the standings. But wherever they finish, if they somehow squeak into a playoff or if they somehow get to the point where they're a crossover team, who wants to play against Michael Riley and Brian Burnham in a playoff game? Because if they get into a situation where they need 10 points, 14 points on just great individual plays, I don't know who you'd want to have to make great individual plays more than those two. So, you know, I I do stack it up right now as being Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, Edmonton, Calgary, very, very similar. I put BC at the bottom, but if they climb into that conversation of anywhere in the three, four, instead of being in the five slot in the West, man, I would not want to play against them. Marshall Ferguson is our guest. You can uh, follow him on Twitter at TSN underscore Marsh and make sure if you're a CFL fan to check out the work that the guys are doing over at cfperspective.ca. Marsh, let's go over to the East. Uh, what did you think when you got the alert that Chris Jones is on his way back to the <laughs> CFL this week? Uh, yeah, I was trying to figure out which team. And then, you know, we learned some things about why there's some moving and shaking in Toronto. And it makes a lot of sense uh, that he would be very interested in that. I do love the the quote. That, I mean, there's so many funny quotes that have come out from this, whether it's people saying like, you know, he's doing it in the best interest of his family. I'm like, uh no, he's doing it because he loves coaching professional football. It's like, that's not a thing. Um, and then, I, you know, I'd seen some people kind of speculating that uh, it's a good thing for Ryan Dinwiddie that he should want to just hand the keys over and forget about the Rich Stubler stuff. And let's scrap that defense. Let's just give it to Jones and let him run wild with it. And I'm like, man, if I was Ryan Dinwiddie and I'm a first year head coach. I don't really want to hand anything to Chris Jones. And I don't think that there's a ton of a relationship there from my understanding of where they've crossed paths in their CFL careers. I mean, obviously they've been aware of each other, but I just, that to me, if I'm Ryan Dinwiddie, I'm kind of going, what are we doing here? Cause this guy doesn't, I actually had a bet with Kyle Mello, who I used to do radio in Hamilton with. We had a bet when Chris Jones went to Cleveland and he was like, defensive secondary quality control coach or something like that. It was some obscure term. It was a, it was a position that Chris Jones would have created in Saskatchewan for one of his friends where it's like, Hey, pers- the, you know, they had, in Saskatchewan when he was there, they had a pursuit angle coach. He wasn't a, def- <laughs> he wasn't a defensive back coach. He wasn't a linebacker coach. He wasn't a defensive assistant. He wasn't a quality control. He was a defensive pursuit coach. And I remember coach John Salavanis, who I was working radio in Hamilton with going through the website, finding that and going, yeah, you think this is sustainable? I'm like, mm, no, I don't think this is. But when he went to Cleveland, when he bailed on the Riders and went to Cleveland, I, I told Kyle Mello, Kyle, he's going to be the head coach of the Browns in three years. That dude's an assassin. Like, I thought that he was going to just go, whatever his obscure position was, linebackers coach, defensive coordinator, 
Oh, look, he's done a good job with the defense. Wow, he was a head coach in the CFL. Maybe he'll get a shot. Now, I way overshot that. But also, it was the idea that Freddie Kitchens was the one who brought him in. When he gets bound, in comes Stefanski. Then it's like, well, there's no reason to keep him anymore because his boy in Freddie Kitchens was no longer in-house. So, yeah, when they uh, when I saw that announcement, I'm like, this this guy, Chris Jones, does not do anything without a motive and a purpose. And I don't think he's just wanting to coach some football. That's a very cute way of putting it. But if you think that he just wants to coach some football because he loves the game, you're being very naive to the fact that Chris Jones is an assassin and that dude wants a full-time job in the CFL ASAP. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> I, have to, I mean, he is one of the most polarizing figures I can ever remember having around C- uh, CFL football. And that it's hard to dispute the success that he's had in a number of, of his spots but it always ends up really bad. <laughs> so. I mean, he's he's a great coordinator, right? Like, he knows what he's doing with defenses. And for him, I'm just imagining the call that comes in. Because what did he do in Saskatchewan all the time when John Murphy was there accruing the talent with him? It was always, well, let's try to get this piece or that player. Or let's bring this guy in the practice. It was always splashy signings. And maybe we'll get this guy and he'll fit well here. Imagine you don't have to do any of the legwork, any of the drafting, any of the free agency and John Murphy or Pinball Clemens calls you and says, Chris, uh, how's high school football season going? Well, we've had three games canceled because of COVID. It's a bit of a mess down here. Uh, so we've got a situation in Toronto. Uh, would you want to coach Sean Oakman uh, alongside Charleston Hughes, alongside Cam Judge, alongside Enoch Mwamba, alongside just keep going like the, all of the names that are in house. Would you have any interest in building a defense around those guys? or being able to factor into how they understand the game going forward here and we'll bring you on staff. I feel like he would not even say yes before he'd hang up the phone and get in the car because he would just I'll be there in 10 minutes and he would just drive as fast as he could to try and get across the country up there. So yeah, he knows what he's doing. He's a very, very talented coach. You know, I make fun of the assassin part and you know where he could go moving forward, but there's no denying he's going to have a positive impact on Toronto's defense, which is already good. So yeah, that's a, that's a big advantage for Toronto going forward. I was just shocked that he was vaxxed. But uh, anyways, that's another, that's, that's another story entirely. Well, let's talk about this Saskatchewan-Hamilton game on, or uh, Toronto-Hamilton, uh, Saskatchewan-Toronto game on the weekend. Argos on the road. Uh, I believe the line's three and a half right now. We were wondering whether Cody Fajardo was going to play. Yeah. Um, he's been practicing. We look like he will be. Um, well, what do you make of this matchup? Because uh, certainly Bomber fans... I mean, I've been pretty impressed with what Toronto has done so far this year. We saw them beat the Bombers. The uh, the uh, Riders had no such luck. Um, could this be three losses in a row for the Green? It could. It could. Honestly, Toronto has got enough talent to get that done. And, and the thing that I was really interested in this week, uh, I tweeted it out again at TSN underscore Marsh if people want to see the actual chart and make your own assumptions on this. But I sent out Nick Arbuckle's target chart from the Labor Day rematch against Hamilton in a victory. Right, and they squeak it out because Michael Domagala just chokes and hits an upright, and it's just chaos on the Ticat sideline with Dane Evans being out of the game and David Watford in. But in that game, Toronto was this close from blowing out Hamilton. And the reason I say that is not a slight against what Dane Evans was doing in the first three quarters. He was really good, but he wasn't finishing drives. And man, Toronto missed a couple of shots that absolutely would have opened the type of shots that Winnipeg has been essentially successfully completing that are changing games. The way that Calgary hit on a couple of throws to open up that game against Edmonton this past week, I'm telling you that I am getting too scientific about the way I'm looking at the CFL game because I'm realizing more and more 
you're going to have a certain percentage of passes that are high completion percentage, high efficiency throws, and then you got to land a certain amount of decent runs to be able to set up some of the other plays that you have. But the CFL is a game where when you get three or four opportunities to stretch the field, if you hit on them, you win, a la the Montreal Alouettes, where you're going into Ottawa and you throw it up and down the field and you ring up a 50-burger. If you don't end up hitting those three or four shots, then you're the Montreal Alouettes who in week four lose to the Hamilton Tiger Cats on a Friday night in your home opener. It's like it's a it's a make or miss league in terms of those shots. And for me, Toronto was so close to this, but they ended up going on passes of 20 plus yards in the air in that Labor Day rematch. O of eight was Nick Arbuckle with an interception. O of eight with an interception. And two of those throws were off the fingertips of receivers. It was so close to being completed and opening up that game. So Saskatchewan is reeling a little bit. I I actually don't think Cody Fajardo will play. I'm not sure that he should based on what we saw from that Labor Day rematch. It's a closed practice is my understanding in Saskatchewan today, which probably means that Harker takes all of the reps. Whatever happens going forward with them, I, I'd be interested to see uh, whether or not Harker has the goods to play a full game when a team is actually scheming for him. Uh, but I do think that Toronto has enough firepower now on offense and Arbuckle is changing the understanding of his tendencies because he was very much a check down thrower in Calgary. His game is growing and he's starting to take those vertical shots. Now it's a matter of completing them. And if he can, Toronto's a really, really well-rounded team. Marsh, this has been awesome. Uh, Before we go, uh, what do you have coming up this weekend and uh, what's cooking on CF Perspective going into week seven? Very exciting, actually, for us. I hope that all of our U Sports fans will dig into this because we signed a deal with the OUA, Ontario University Athletics. And so we're going to be the home for coverage of the OUA throughout the year. We've got a Sunday recap show going up on our YouTube live page that's going to begin this week because OUA play begins. A great game, Mac against Western, coming up for you. It will be this Saturday afternoon. So I'm looking forward to being able to get that off the ground. Been talking to the OUA for a long time about doing something together. And we want to bring you sports football to people. So uh, giving them another resource to be able to enjoy the game. And then for myself, over the weekend, I will be uh, extremely interested in watching whatever the quarterback situation is in Hamilton going into this game. Because if Jeremiah Masoli does not play in this game, I think it says more to you about his future than it does about his present. Marsh, great stuff, man. Keep up the great work. Thanks for doing this. Congrats on the debut on TSN. You killed it. And uh, let's do this again real soon. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it, guys. I hope you guys are all good out there. Right on. There he is, Marshall Ferguson at TSN Marsh, fresh off his uh, play-by-play debut on TSN and continuing to bring some of the uh, most thoughtful analysis of CFL football anywhere. That's at cflperspective.ca. All right. Uh, A big shout out to our friends at Canadian Club. They are, of course, the official sponsor and spirit of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Uh, I probably put up some numbers at the Banjo Bowl. Uh, Quite a bit being poured, I did see, both in the stadium and outside the stadium. Of course, you can always get the great taste of Canadian Club since 1858 anywhere in Canada. Um, Certainly your favorite restaurants will all have it. And, of course, also at Manitoba Liquor Mart's. Uh, we'll be doing some more great Canadian Club giveaways. Congratulations to P. Sambo, who won that incredible Canadian Club Chronicles 42-year-old whiskey. We'll let you know about the next release of the Chronicles series some point soon when it gets going. But in the meantime, grab a CC and ginger ale, a CC and Coke at your favorite spot, or pick it up at your local liquor marts. And a big thanks to the Beam Suntory team for their support of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. And of course, it's finally come to this after an amazing 
season of live racing that included midseason, the return of fans. We have the final night of live racing at Assiniboia Downs tonight. Now, the track will always be open. Uh, VLT is open from 9 a.m. every morning. The Terrace Dining Room is open. You'll still be able to go in and bet on tracks around the world like Remus and I do via the HPIbet.com site. But tonight's our last chance to get up for live racing, and it's not just any night at the track. There's a million dollars on the line. And uh, to tee up the final night, we bring in our good friend, Darren Dunn from Assiniboia Downs before the final races of the year. Hard to believe. Here we are, Darren. Uh, how are you? It's great to have you back on the show. Oh, terrific, Hustler. Feels good to be here. And uh, yeah, you know, spring training uh, a moment ago, uh, kicking off the live season in May. Blink your eyes. And here we are wrapping it tonight. Um you know, it, it's been interesting. It's been varied. It's been another challenge relative to, of course, stating the obvious elephant in the room, the COVID uh, pandemic uh, 2.0, as I've called it, relative to uh, trying to do another sporting event season from start to finish under, um, you know, challenging circumstances, not unlike uh, many businesses out there. So uh, it's nice to get to the finish line, but we're about live racing. So, uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll reflect. Uh, we're very proud of how the season has come together. And then, uh, you know, we'll tee it up again in May and let's do it all over again. Well, you know, when we spoke at the end of last season, which had no fans, um, <laughs> it was an incredibly successful year, though, for the Downs because of, I mean, a couple of things that you and your team have done. Moving to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, placing that signal in a kind of a slower spot amongst horse racing and you really saw the benefits of that. We're now into year two um, of sort of where we're at right now. We did add fans later on, but overall, how has this season gone? How have the strategies paid off? And uh, certainly we've seen some huge, huge betting nights uh, online for the track. I mean, uh, was it overall a good one, all things considered, what we're dealing with? Yeah, you know what, Hustler, without question, uh, Super proud of our team out here. Uh, so pleased with the support from the horse people who participated. It was really unknown coming into this year. Last year it was an anomaly relative to the wagering, uh, the relationships we built. You touched on the fact that we adjusted our schedule, did that, uh, uh, let's call it uh, early season pivot to try and take advantage of a sweet spot in the global marketplace for horse racing at that time. But to be honest with you, really, there was no sports going on at all. So coming into this season, we knew the NHL was back. Uh, you know, Major League Baseball would be rolling. We were going to hit the playoffs of uh, the NBA, et cetera, et cetera. And it was going to be on um, mass a saturation of content that wasn't there a year before. So we bet about a million one uh, on average uh, in 2020, knowing full well that that wasn't going to be uh, sustainable this year. Uh, I tell you, we're coming into this uh, final day, probably about $700,000 a day. Couldn't be happier. To be honest with you, uh, pre-COVID, we would wager $250,000 a day here at Assiniboia Downs, both on track uh, for those in uh, the Manitoba area and then our partners uh, throughout the world. So it's not like we just suddenly showed uh, Assiniboia Downs to the world last year. We had a significant partner network, but we took it to a whole nother level last year. And we, instead of knocking doors, had our door knocked for content. Our big question was, can we retain those partnerships? Can we retain that interest uh, from their customers and to what level? So uh, two years uh, into this COVID experience, uh, to sit here and say uh, at the end, $700,000 a day, thrilled. So we solidified those relationships. We were able to keep those pools, that liquidity for wagering uh, sustainable and uh, allow those who like to really take a shot and swing away or you know swing for the fences to be able to do that. 
and uh, and also providing a balance for those who uh, who are just out here for a $2 to win play show or pick a name, pick a color. I will touch on the ability to have fans come back, even though it was late July. Uh, it was really motivating to see our team out here. Uh, it was great for their um, for their psyche. It has been a, I can't even call it a library because people uh, last 18 months or two seasons, if you will, uh, libraries have people in it. I mean, it was like a morgue until we were able to meaningfully return fans. And it's been fantastic. And, and the attitude of those who've been on site have just been amazing. So in a sort of all-encompassing way, Hustler, very satisfying, excellent numbers, um, and really sets us up to continue to take things to the next level. Opened up some further doors this year that we really want to capitalize, uh, solidify relationships further. And I'll really say, and I know it's a bit of a long-winded answer, but when you talk about partner wagering, uh, those wagering all over the world, um, I'll really quickly say Australia as an example, who continues to be a growing partner of ours. When we initially dipped our toe in that water, uh, it's almost like an A-B level there. We were at a B level, and uh, we had a minimal amount of wagering, but we were at least had that product out there. This year, we took it to a whole other level with the A system of distribution in Australia. But there's also, it takes time. you got to build the brand. Who is ASD? Who is Assiniboy Downs? As a matter of fact, why we changed to ASD was like CBC, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation is a mouthful. Cineboy Downs, people butchered it, to be honest with you, over and over again. Uh, but ASD was easy to say. Uh, and, you know, so, but who is ASD to somebody in Australia putting a shrimp on the barbie, so to speak? But we hit their lunch hour perfect. We have a lot of interest from South America now, Brazil and Peru, that we were not able to bring to fruition this year, but should be able to work on that in the offseason. Does that mean they're going to bet, you know, millions of dollars next year? No, they won't. But they'll get used to our brand, uh, our ASD Live uh, broadcast, and uh, you know the kind of races we run, the jockeys, the trainers. They get more and more familiar. So suffice to say, you know we're really excited about the upside, and uh, very pleased to put a bow on another successful season this year. Well, that's great. I mean, I know how hard you and uh, Cherry and Sharon and everyone there had been working to make this happen, and you know, of course, the opportunity for uh, for fans to get back out enjoy a little bit of outside, place a few wagers, have something to eat. Um, yeah. It's almost too bad that it's ending tonight because, um, you know, I think people now are getting more and more comfortable if they're vaccinated <laughs> to get out and do some of these things. All that being said, Darren, we've got a pretty uh, pretty stacked card to finish up the 2021 season and some monster potential payouts. Fill us in on what's going on tonight for, uh, that might not be on a normal race night at ASD. Sure. Yeah, good point. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you're right. I'll tell you, since fans started to return, it's almost like every day, uh, you know, it, the crowds continue to grow. Uh, so tonight, uh, yeah, everything but the kitchen sink is on the table tonight because there's a number of pools that have to be paid out, and uh, that's it's mandated to be paid out. So I will say this. First of all, our pick four, um, races four through seven, Pick the winner of each race you share in a pool. We're guaranteeing that that pool size will be at least $50,000. Uh, it should exceed that. So there's a fun wager. Uh, it's reasonable to be able to pick four races in a row, spend a few dollars. You can do that for a 20-cent wheel. But then also the big one tonight is uh, the jackpot pick five. We've had a building carryover. We've talked about this before. It's happened a few times uh, throughout the last number of years. It doesn't usually uh, carry through to the end. In this case, it has. We have just over a quarter of a million dollars that's basically money carried over from other race days. It has to be paid out tonight. The amount of wagering that should come in from outside within Manitoba, but certainly more so outside the borders, uh, should be substantial to get over a million dollars. If it doesn't get to be over a million dollars, we're going to guarantee that. If somebody is the solo winner, so if you're the only person out of everybody's going to take a swing at this, uh, who picks five winners in a row, the last five races of the day, 
you're going to take home some game-changing, life-changing money. In saying that, if multiple people do it, then the pool that's available gets divided. And hopefully there's a nice robust payoff. You need just a long shot or two in there, and it's going to pay great. If it's all favorites, it comes up a little bit light. That's happened before. But bottom line is there's a shot at a million tonight. And then the final thing I just quickly mentioned on the last race of the night, if they want their last chance to dance, uh, the get-out race of the night. Top five finishers in the last race, uh, there's a carryover of over $30,000. So that'll go to a significant number. So if you can pick the top five finishers in exact order, uh, another chance to cash big. Uh, that is wild. So guaranteed 250 k in that. I mean, if if you somehow, I mean, get a bunch of long shots and crazy things happen, you might be able to take home a million. Yep. Um, but that quarter million dollars is going to be split. So, I mean, even if you went in on a bunch of favorites and got on it and a lot of other people did too, um, there's an extra quarter million dollars that's going to be spread out amongst everyone that catches a ticket. Totally. You must have placed a wager before in your life. I'm just guessing it's a hunch, uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you understand it exactly correct, Hustley. There's there is free money on the table, literally money that betters from uh, the last, let's call it at least six weeks, left on the table, and it has to be pushed through tonight. So it's getting paid out, no if and ors about it. So it's just a terrific night to wager. Uh, it's the end of the season. I wish my field sizes were just a little bit bigger, but uh, maybe it takes a little challenge off the table. Having said that, still no guarantee that you can pick a winner in any horse race, let alone five in a row. No doubt about it. Now, uh, as far as the uh, the program goes tonight, um, any uh, any thoughts? Uh, do you have a pick or two? Even if we go the first two races outside of outside of everything else that's happening, um, no one knows the track better than you, Double D. Uh, are you on anyone? Except tonight. Uh, you know what? I'm not. I have. I have. Uh catching my breath to bring this to a conclusion. I have not handicapped the race car tonight. I just pump ASD Live and Kurt Contois, who I know you've had on there uh, many times on the show. Uh, those guys come on at 645. What a, and what a great chance to plug that. 645, it's on YouTube, it's on asdowns.com. They'll go through the whole race car to uh, his uh, companion on their stretch. These guys live, eat, breathe every four-legged animal out here. Uh, they have an incredibly refined understanding of where horses are at right now. If you truly want to put in a little bit of effort tonight, I mean, listen, if you come out tonight, we'll do it in between the races and you can get their synopsis uh, each time. But if you want the whole package beforehand, give yourself a half an hour, take it in, make some uh, make some notes in a program. And I assure you, it will improve your chances dramatically. And um, yeah, so that's that's going to be more my suggestion. ASD Live at 645, Kurt Contoine Stretch. They've done a great job. I was on sure. there last night. And, I mean, you know, with Remus and I making our bets every night uh, in our duel, which I think is going to end up in my partner's favor unless I pull a miracle out of the hat tonight in the final day of live racing. Uh, you know, often, like last night, I was doing some work on the computer. I had the Jays game on the TV. Oh. And I had the other screen with uh, the boys doing the, uh, the ASD Live. And sometimes I've made our wagers beforehand, have been out, come back, you can rewatch it as if it's live before yeah. checking your bets. And, uh, and so anyways, it's been phenomenal and a big shout out to both of those guys. They've done a great, great job. And, and great. to you and all of your staff, Darren, um, listen, we're going to be out there tonight looking forward to hopefully getting in on, uh, some of that million bucks or at least the quarter mill. Uh, but thank you for everything. Congrats on a great season. And we will uh, very much look forward to, uh, getting back to the track and work with you guys again next year here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Appreciate it, Hustler. Look forward to saying hello tonight and uh, wish uh, everyone uh, who's uh, supported us here a big thank you. And uh, and if you do have some moments tonight, come on out and do it one more time and we'll wrap it tonight. Thanks. 
Right on. Thanks so much. There's Darren Dunn. Uh, you can get all the information on Assiniboia Downs on Twitter at Assiniboia Downs. The website is asdowns.com. And the, uh, the ASD Live, though, is where you want to go, especially if you're not able to make it out. Uh, the analysis from Kirk and Stretch has been you know, great. They've been hitting some winners last night. I, I was sort of swinging for the fences a little bit more last night. But uh, honestly, they do such a great job. Big thanks to Darren, Sherry, and the entire crew over to Cinnaboy Downs. And uh, yeah, if you're looking for something to do tonight, Remus is heading out. I'll be heading out as well for at least a few races. Sometimes it does go relatively late. Uh, but very much looking forward to getting back to the track one more time this season and then back at it next year, hopefully under normal circumstances, hitting that amazing buffet up in the Terrace Dining Room, doing some live racing right from the table there. But tonight, uh, it's going to be nice. We'll be outside, in, out, making bets, maybe having a couple cold ones, getting some food. So uh, all invited to Assiniboia Downs. And if you do come, Make sure you say hi to the two of us or tweet us while we're there. We'll let you know where we are at. All right, let's get Remo back in here. Lots of fun. Lots of football today. Again, I know some people kind of starving for hockey. There's not a lot going on right now. We will, though, have Ken Weeb on the program tomorrow to break down his thoughts on uh, Jets minicamp with the rookies and prospects coming. And, of course, next week's training camp. And if you missed our conversation yesterday with Paul Edmonds, that's up on the YouTube channel as a standalone. If you're a Jets fan, jonesing for Jets talk, check that one out from yesterday's program. It was really, really fun with Paul. Uh, you know, he's fired up to get things going again. Uh, Remo, what, uh, how's the chat? How's uh, everything going now as we get to uh, some fun stories in our cool bet lines at the end of the day? Did you catch that, by the way? What Darren was saying about the pick four and the jackpot pick five. Hey, I got the pick five. So pick the last five all correct on a pick five ticket. That has been the pick five ticket. Um, pick yeah, yeah, five. yeah, yeah. It's not just the. You know, I can't just bets. go yeah. do singles of uh, of five. So I'll have to make sure I get those in tonight. And then, um, what was the first? So what's the other one? The pick and the first one is the pick four pool, which is races okay. four through seven. So okay. essentially, if you're on the pick five and you blow it in the first race, you can get it on the oh, pick okay, four. Oh, good, good. 50, 50K guaranteed done. for that one as well. So, you know, I, I know we've normally done our race picks for the horses throughout, but I have a feeling we might need to uh, get together offline and make some of our uh, our wages for the pick four and the jackpot pick five uh, because there's going to be a lot to get to. So I am... I, I'm on HPI. I only see pick four. I don't see. Uh, I don't, oh, I got to start at race race three. I think for the pick five. Yeah, yeah. There's exactly. the pick five. Okay, yeah. So I got to select race three. Okay, so I have my regular picks in, but I will be adding some pick four and uh, pick five picks. And even when I'm there, I can be on the app and do do it. So I'll probably go. I don't think I'll show up right at seven thirty, but uh, I'll probably show up for time for like race three or just after race three for the last uh, the last four for sure. Yeah, well, I mean, and that will get go. That uh, does sometimes get pretty late, so um, we'll be there. I'll probably try and get there earlier for the first or mm -hmm. second race for sure. But again, we'll be down there. Uh, and, and if you're not able to make it out, but you do want to maybe splash a couple bucks to see if mm -hmm. you can get in on these jackpots tonight, uh, you just do it at hpibet.com, and you'll be able to hit races through all, like all around the world throughout the year as well. If you're into uh, into horse racing, it should be good. Uh, what what are you on right now as far as the the races that you've seen so far? You on well, well, I didn't win any yesterday, so and I again I got off real hot to start the year, 
and it's slowed down for me. If you want me to tell you the picks, I got a couple um, tractor boxes at the end. Uh, here, let me pull it up right now. And uh, yeah, so I know a lot of people are like, ah, I'm here for the Jets talk. Well, uh, you know, we did a lot of the Jets talk yesterday. You and I went through the the Jets um, training camp roster, just talked about no- notable names, and then we lengthy conversation with Paul Edmonds on yesterday's show, or it's on YouTube as a standalone. So uh, I would recommend checking that out. And tomorrow, yeah, can we been be the first day of camp? We'll be all be. Won't it be great to have a Paul? I know Paul Maurice is speaking at times during this uh, pro mini camp as a client. Won't it be great to have another Pomo press conference. So- I, I would. You know what? We could play it twice. I mean, just for for people that that <laughs> missed the coach, just just get it and fire it up again, oh, just to make sure be- we heard everything correctly. Uh, uh, I am I am interested. Just quickly on that. I am very interested to hear from Maurice, though, Um, you know, talking about the team, talking about training camp, talking about battle, talking about a number of these young players that right now are going to be part of the uh, of the rookie camp in that, you know, as we talked about with Paul yesterday, while forwards, the forward group, there's plenty of opportunity for guys in that bottom six to go in that, you know, weren't regulars to maybe grab jobs. It's night and day when you look at the blue line. I mean, if you assume that what Logan Stanley did last year has got him a spot on that third pairing, Dylan DeMello's there. You know, Neil Pionk and Josh Morrissey are part of it, and Brendan Dillon and Nate Schmidt are going to be there. If everyone's healthy, there's not really any other room for more guys to pop in the lineup. So does that mean guys with contracts like Bolio and Niku are the extra players? Um, And again, we got into a lot of this with Paul, but I think it does sort of mean that in all likelihood, both the Dilly Hainala and Dylan Sandberg are with the Manitoba Moose. But I think long-term for their development, not a bad thing. Um, play a ton, play against top-level competition, and then when the spot is open, you go in there and hopefully for those young men, never yeah. look back. Uh, but anyways, I uh, got a little derailed there. Uh, wh- wh- well, what do you have here? I'm here to talk about Poma. I mean, we haven't even heard him say what he thinks of the roster. We haven't heard what the line possible line combos. We haven't heard special teams. Oh, we're well, going to get into this. I'm I'm starting to Jones for some, uh, I know. some hockey. I'm, Just give me I'm some Maurice. lines. Give me yeah. training camp lines right now. <laughs> <laughs> where's where's so, Billy Hainala? Who's he paired with? And what does it mean for who he's going to be paired with in main camp? What's uh, what's Cole Perfetti? Is, how's his skating looking? What's he been doing this offseason? season? <laughs> We're, we're going to be getting all that uh, tomorrow. Yeah, uh, it starts tomorrow. Ken Weeb will be on the program. Mm-hmm. We'll do a nice uh, extended segment. If you're watching on YouTube, he'll be on, usually in our second guest segment, yeah. in and around 10 to 2 if you uh, are popping in and watching and, live. Uh, would you want to have a bet on which uh, room Ken is going to be doing the show from? Will it be in that bedroom with the Kenny and Rennie sign? Will it be in the office with the TV? Right? Or will it be in the kitchen with that painting that uh, that's behind him, you know the one I'm talking about. Well, we'll get to the cool bet lines in a minute. Yeah. Maybe we can put put a line up on that. Could it could it be down from the rink? <laughs> you never oh, yeah, know. We'll be at the rink. Yeah. Well, do the, what's the internet quality there? We will definitely find out. Um, it's sponsored by a telecom company, the rink. So you'd think it would be good, um, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, here, let me pull up uh, my picks for today. Uh, here we are. A Cinnaboy Downs HPI bet. I got multiple computers here. Hold on. Uh, race three, starting off with race three. That's my first pick. I'm going with to win number two. Praise loudly. Praise loudly for number two. So the big favorite, Carlos Sixes, has got scratched. So this one's really up oh. in the air. So I have a uh, 
he's a big favorite or was going to be, but he scratched. So there's only four horses. And That'll some shake things odds. up for the jackpot five, even though there's only four horses. That's um, true. Carlos sixes would have been such a heavy favorite. So that is somewhat interesting that uh, that, that yes, took place. That's some good intel that you only get here at Winnipeg Sports Talk. Race four. I'm on horse number two. Bunch of cash to place. That's a bit of a long shot, but let's do it. That's a smaller bet. $3. I had first $5 on the first one. I'm going with two triactor boxes on the last two races. Race six, I'm going three, four, six. Oh, wait. Uh, I see four just got scratched. Oh, that's race seven. Sorry, sorry. Two, five, six from this one. Good to me. Tough enough to start. And Claire Essence. That's my first one. And then race seven, I got a triactor box of three, four, six. A2, Babu, Orange Theory, and Call the Cops, who uh, has been there all year, Call the Cops. I think you might have picked that once or twice. So those are my selections. Definitely. All right. I am actually going to take a 135 triactor box in both of the first two races. Uh, Just the way that it worked out. I love the Wit horses. They always seem to do well. So we're going to get with Go Wit Go, Home Early Shirley, and Sizzle and Susie in uh, race number one. And then for race number two, we're going to take Master Slam, Chicago Roll, and Muskoka for another one, three, five try. And I I will throw it down on uh, race number three. I may add a couple of these if we're going to be doing the uh, the big one. Carlos Six, as you mentioned, is the big, big favorite. Uh, so now with him out, I guess it's going to be Whitlove Tacos. And uh, Whitlove Tacos coming off a win in his last race. Um, did lose to Praise Loudly in his previous one before, but has two wins in his last three. So I think we'll throw a win bet on Whitlove's Tacos. And that is also where we will start the jackpot pick five again, hpibet.com for all of that. We'll, uh, we'll announce the winner of the duel at the downs tomorrow. And it is 99% likely that it'll no. be Michael Remus. I need an absolute miracle tonight. But Let's, that's yeah. why they play the games, folks. That's what sports is all about. Miracle comebacks. Could what's I possibly ba- have one in? What's your balance at? Uh, well, I think yesterday it was six twenty. I don't have it up right. Okay. Now. Yeah. You do need a big night. Uh, yeah, so, like I basically need to make up like 150 or 100. Yeah, that's going to be hard. Um, what if uh, I win a million bucks? Yeah. Will that win? It? Will that do it? <laughs> a single winner on the jackpot pick five? Uh, I think that that'd would be pop. a hell. That'd be a hell of a bailout. You want to talk about a hail mary at the end of the season? <laughs> it's all coming down to race seven tonight, Remus. I would love that. Uh, that pick five. I'm gonna have to put. I put in a bunch. Now are we we do our regular twenty. Are we throwing in another twenty uh, at the jackpots here? Is that what we're doing? Uh, yes, yes, that is exactly what will uh, what will ha- okay. happen. So we'll get that done, and then we'll throw it in. And, What's uh, um, as I said? Feel how free. Much- you really don't have to. I'm a little bit more in a situation where if I want to have any hoop, I'll need to do it. So uh, you can parlay, or you can put a few different horses in a race, and it'll tell you how much it is. I believe those pick five and pick four bets are actually twenty cents. There, yeah, okay. They're twenty cent bets, so you can put a bunch of horses on it, and you know you've got a few uh, few horses in each race, as it were. I guess that's where the uh, I guess that's where the saying uh, that where the saying comes from. Um, oh, cool bet lines for tonight. Let's get to them. Uh, no football until tomorrow. Tomorrow's NFL game is uh, oh, it's now gone to three and a half. Nice to get in on uh, at three on Washington uh, the WFT yesterday. 
But as far as Major League Baseball goes, the, uh, oh, wow, Blue Jays and Rays are already playing. I forgot it was an afternoon game. Dang. Uh, but good news for Blue Jays fans. They are up right now, 3 nothing playing in the second inning. A little bit later on, you've got Boston taking on the Seattle Mariners, and the Yankees are taking on the Baltimore Orioles. Um, certainly, uh, Jays fans will be pulling for the Mariners and definitely for the Orioles in that game last night. And a little update on those CFL lines. Uh, oh, Cal- Calgary and Hamilton is now uh, Hamilton minus two and a half. Argos still three and a half point dogs at Saskatchewan. Montreal remains a one point favorite, even with Kahari Jones out. And the Blue Bombers six point road favorites against the Edmonton Elks. Uh, all right, we've got a few things we were talking about this morning. Um, first of all, uh, can can we talk about the Nicki Minaj? Uh, the Nicki Minaj. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he's been like trending for two days uh, for this. And like, I see everyone throwing in like Nick Castellanos uh, references to it. Um, and it's a four nothing ball game. Yeah. Uh, let me pull up the, the actual the actual tweet here, because the infamous first tweet by Nicki Minaj getting into the COVID take game, the vaccine take game. And uh, geez, if I if I'd done it, if you go to my Instagram back to the Super Bowl in Phoenix, I believe uh, I ended up somehow getting into a party backstage, walk through the back, basically claiming that I was covering it for a Canadian media outlet. Did you? <laughs> yeah, totally. And they they whisked me in. There's all these performers in the back. I go out the thing. I'm standing at the side. And the next thing you know, Nicki Minaj comes out dressed for a performance, let's just say. So there, there is some evidence of Whoa. that. If, if you're a Nicki Minaj fan of that, you can go check that out. Not as much a fan of her crazy ass takes on this. But essentially, this is what this is the world of misinformation. Someone says something and then people take it for truth. And then you have an international superstar fire out things like uh, she said, which involved the uh, vaccine apparently giving her cousin's friends swollen testicles and uh, uh, his wife or his fiance. There it is. My cousin in Trinidad won't get the vax because his friend got it and became impotent. His testicles became swollen. His friend was weeks away from getting married. Now the girl called off the wedding. So just pray on it and make sure you're comfortable with your decision, not bullied. Um, listen, everyone should be comfortable with decision. I'm not making fun of that. But the responses to this was essentially, so your friend's cousin or your cousin's friend was cheating on his fiance, got an STD, blamed <laughs> it on the vaccine, and then got busted. Well, needless, there, this was, I mean, there was trending for a reason. People looked into it. And uh, Remo, we did find today, the Trinidad and Tobago health minister had to have a press conference today to uh, dispute the claim made by Nicki Minaj and says there's not only no such reported case in Trinidad and Tobago, but in fact, no case anywhere on planet Earth. So if you're worried about the uh, the Nicki Minaj syndrome as it came from her tweet, don't be. Uh, it, it sounds like that was hashtag fake news. I can't believe they had, um, I mean, I guess if someone with that big of a following is putting out false information, you do need to look into it. If you're the Trinidad uh, and Tobago, like, uh, health minister, 
So they looked into it. Uh, no such reported case of swollen testicles <laughs> from the vaccine. What Thank a, God for that. Thank yeah. God for that. Now, uh, something that I came across today, and this is quite interesting, Reem. I was not even aware that there is a toy hall of fame. And we could probably do an hour on this topic, to be perfectly honest. But the finalists, 12 finalists today for the National Toy Hall of Fame are up in a, in a, and in, 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 like, let's just go through these, um, the, yeah. the, the finalists here. It's very interesting. Some things that older people might uh, recognize, some younger people certainly will. Two games in there Risk, which, Absolutely should be up for it. Mm. And the Settlers of Catan, which I have never played. I do have some friends that have played it, and I believe it's almost like a Risk on steroids. I mean, it, to be honest, I've heard that game compared to Risk many times, so it speaks for itself that it is there. Um, Cabbage Patch Kids. A Fisher, the Fisher Price Corn Popper. I think that's what's on the. Uh, on oh, the, on that's the what that. Side. Okay, I saw the Corn Popper. I didn't know that that's what the name. Yeah. I thought that was a lawnmower. Oh, that thing well, isn't a toy. It sort of is, but I guess that it's just called. You know, yeah, exactly. The kids love it. Uh, billiards, which I mean, I, yeah, I guess that would technically be a toy. Uh, what else are there? The uh, Cabbage pit- Patch Kids, yeah, which you're probably a little too young for, but there was like there was like Housewives beating the shit out of each other at the Walmarts and Zellers trying to like literally like it was it was like a it was the Royal Rumble every day when those things came in it was unbelievable um not so much anymore but they're going up for uh they're in for it American Girl Dolls which I'm not familiar with Battleship an amazing game you see it there um Mahjong which is a I, I that's a I, I believe that's a Chinese game. Yes. Um, I'm not sure whether it's a betting game or not. Uh, but Masters of the Universe, He-Man, Skeletor, you can see them at the bottom. Uh, a toy fire engine. I guess that would certainly be bigger in there. And then the pinata. I wasn't. I had never thought that a pinata was really a toy. I thought that was like a birthday party accessory. But. Uh, but it's out there. I mean, if you had to vote on one of these, Remus, you can only put in one. Oh, by the way, the other one, and you're wondering what that pale is, Sand. Sand also nominated for the Toy Hall of Fame. What? Oh, man. Um, yeah, this is. there's some really good toys here. And I want to say I'm a big fan of Catan, but I think it's too new. It's got to it's gotta wait its turn. Is there, there should be a mandatory waiting period to get into the Toy Hall of Fame. I think a, the pinata has been around for a long time. I think that should go in. Battleship, I agree it should go in. Risk, uh, I like Risk. Takes a long time. I think Battleship. I think Battleship. Uh, Cabbage Patch. I mean, it hasn't really stood the test of time, Hus. It's kind of like uh, Pavel Bure, if you ask me. Like really short career. Does get into the Hall of Fame eventually? And like you know, the Cam Neely like injured season. So I don't know. I, I so for longevity here, I like Battleship. I'm going back. I think billiards should be in too, but Battleship is my pick. Pinatas are still around. You go to a toy store, they do have pinatas. So I like you pick two. Is that well, how many? You you can pick two if you want. You can you can make how does a, you it can work? Make a first choice. So, I, I you know I'm not sure. We're not on the panel for the world. These toy are the Hall final. We should be on the panel. Should be. I mean, yeah. Now and now you're getting into. You can do a new age, a 2021 
hall of fame for toys now that you've got a little guy and probably are mm-hmm. immersed in that world as well. Yeah. Like I was always in, I, I think WWE action figures were criminally overlooked in this, mm-hmm. uh, in this final 12. I mean, those stretchy wrestlers, I would say along with the ring, they should bump out the masters of the universe. I mean, those were, I mean, it's basically the same thing. There was way more versatility hey, with the WWE. Those figures. wrestling action figures, um, been around for a long time. They're collectibles now. I got all mine from when I was a kid. You know, I got Tito Santana, Virgil, really? Hulk Hogan. <laughs> Macho Man? Uh, Ultimate Warrior, Marty Jannetty, uh... Who else? Do Marty Janetti. Wow. I think they were I sold have, out uh, of the Shawn Michaels. You had I, to get the Marty Janetti. Oh, I got. Uh, I think he broke or something. I got. I got. Do you have the rocks? I got Berserker. Uh, let me. Greg the Hammer Valentine. I got a box of. I got a. There. But there's actually a special on those on Netflix. The toys that made us. There's a whole episode on uh, wrestling action figures. So I would recommend anyone uh, check that out. You'd probably would, like that. You got to get Netflix love, us. I I would love it. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna get it just to see the. Um, the Danbury Trashers uh, doc. Um, yeah, there's no video games in there. I see Rob Mahoney dropping, I think it was Rob, ColecoVision. I had a Coleco. That was a total game changer for life when that thing came out. Um, Battleship and Corn Popper. If you have a sister, Cabbage Patch Doll is great. I mean, they all had their mm-hmm. own birth certificate or whatever. They were all different. It definitely was cool. But we've got some other of these ones. Christopher Met, Stretch Armstrong. Mm-hmm. I vaguely remember that. I think that was like sort of a, 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 it was a doll, but it was made of a thing. You could stretch the guy's arms and stuff, but there's some great ones that are missed. Adam Drawward mentioning Ninja Turtles. That certainly could be considered Rob Mahoney, the Rubik's cube, a hundred percent. Like people still play with Rubik's cubes. Now that I, I'm with you on that. Um, BA, where is Etch-A-Sketch? You ever seen those artists? To take an etch a sketch and actually make like yeah uh, that's it always blows my mind every time um let's see oh ryan <laughs> ryan great you've got to watch atari pac-man i, I think there's a and this whole separate video game hall of fame to be honest that kind of ha- uh, handles all of that uh gi joe thundercats stretch monster and t will says yes masters of the universe was huge for about five years Bigger than Hot Wheels or Barbie. Hot Wheels, man, that is something that, you know, to be honest, I'm sort of surprised isn't there. Um, and Lego. Wow. Now that you mentioned Lego and I think about it, that might be the most egregious oversight of well, all. Well, I don't know what's already in. This is just what's going in for this year. And three of these things will go in. We can put in a, should we put in a ballot right now? <laughs> yeah. WST Hollywood Audio Gremlin. Okay. What up? Uh, what up, Gremlin? Uh, now, sand, of course, is is, is up. How about a stick or branch? Should yeah. we put that into the Toy Hall of Fame? <laughs> the 20-sided die. We can put in a vote. We got one vote per day. What are we what are we voting in? Uh uh, well, you wanted to go with was it Battleship? I'm I'll, with you on Battleship. I'll vote Battleship. Okay, I'll put it in. I don't know if we can see how it's it just says we so we can't see, but we can vote once per day. Well, make your voice heard. There you go, folks. Uh what's the uh, what's the site? What's the site we're toyhalloffame.org toyhalloffame and then click on uh you can see the inducted toys we can just like go through so the Atari 2600s in there Barbie okay. is in 
Candy okay, Land. Candy Lego, Land's in. Lego will for sure be in then. Candy Land, a very uh, uh, interesting. Yeah, Lego. Lego was one of the first first ones okay. in. The Magic Eight Ball is in. Yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. Okay, Monopoly, yeah, already in. So probably everything that you guys mentioned is yeah. in. Which makes it surprising, I guess, that some of this stuff is oh. not in. And maybe that's why they had to nominate Sand for the People's Choice Award Mets. because they had run out of other toys. A lot of these, yeah, Rubik's Cubes in. A lot of these. But this radio, I have a radio flyer wagon that I have on. I'm looking. It's funny. How, Super Soaker. I have. I just got new Super Soakers, too. It's funny. <laughs> now that I have a kid, I get to get all these fun toys that are, you know, that are really uh, for really him, but for actually you. for me. Like, my <laughs> brother-in-law got us two Super Soakers. They, like, remade them. I had these when I was a kid, but now uh, we both have them. They're, they're and now great. you and your brother just go at it in battle, and the kids get to watch you guys yeah, soak each other. I love it. I love exactly. it. That's what it's all about. <laughs> There's some oh Uno's. No, other? lawn darts. Lawn darts are banned, aren't they? That was a big scandal back in the day. People loved lawn really? darts, and then they weren't allowed to sell them anymore because somebody got one in the eye, and then that was it. Kind of yeah. like the uh, kind of like the kids that used to hit jewel oh. tabs, and now they won't sell them anymore. Okay, because, someone uh, asked about a stick. Stick's already in us. <laughs> oh, sticks in-, in. Inducted in 2008, the How's world's the oldest toy. <laughs> the sand. Well, sand should be in then. Maybe this is the year for sand to uh, get in alongside stick hey. and branch in the toy. Is a rock thing. in? Because I take my son to the beach. He can sit there for an hour and just throw rocks into the water. <laughs> so uh, I think a rock should be in because I've never seen anything occupy him. Like it's hard to get him away from throwing rocks in the water. So I, I'll put in a rock. Well, folks, this if this doesn't encapsulate how badly we need the Jets back on the ice mm-hmm. and hockey back in here in Winnipeg. We just spent 10 minutes talking about votes for the Toy Hall of Fame, but it was a fun way to finish it up. Um, you can check that out for yourself mm. on online. Tomorrow, we'll be back to a little bit more normal business. Uh, Ken Weeb is going to join us. Looking forward to having Ken. And we'll also talk about the Red Hot Blue Jays, hopefully starting another win streak this afternoon after um, having a real tough time hitting the ball after all those runs on the weekend that will be tomorrow. Keegan Matheson's going to join us. We'll talk Blue Jays. We'll talk Bombers. And we'll have a long segment talking Jets with Ken Weeb, taking us into a big Friday mm-hmm. program where we'll have a big preview for the Bombers and Edmonton Elks, which, of course, is late on Saturday night. Um, thanks to Benny Heist for joining us. Big thanks to Marshall Ferguson, two great guests today talking football. Everyone that's been with us in the live chat. If you haven't already, hit that like button if you can. Make sure you're subscribed. And if you're listening on the podcast, thanks so much for making us a part of your day. And as always, thanks to our sponsors, Little Brown Jug, Boston Pizza, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Assiniboia Downs. Don't forget, last night of live racing. We'll be by for part of the evening tonight for sure. Canadian Club, Royal Sports, Not Auto Corp, Manitoba Battery, and our betting partner at CoolBet.com. Folks, we get back on the Jets beat tomorrow. Ken Weeb joins us. Have a great night. Thanks for listening and hanging out with us here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Have a good one. Oh, my God. Shut it down. Let's go home. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.